Direct auto insurance is for uncompromisers, the people who refuse to make trade-offs in life. They're the ones who proudly say no to living on someone else's terms and schedule. And when it comes to insurance, they find the savings they need to keep driving. And with savings of up to $1,044 per year when you switch to Direct Auto, you too can stop compromising and keep driving. Get a free quote today at directauto.com or find a store near you. Data from August 2021, new customer survey. Savings, if any, vary. How you buy can affect price. National General Group, Winston-Salem. There we go. Super Duke, Super Duke. Good to have you here, buddy. And we'll talk to you tonight on the Cryptid Report. Scrub-a-dub-dub, Kathy Evans. Nice to see you both. Hides and Longgrass, good to have you here as we continue on. Hey, Cherry Pepsi Mike, how you doing? Bombshell Bomber, thanks for coming on in. Hi, Sensational Sherry. Thank you for joining us as we continue on. Digger Dog, Far Flung, Brian Drummond, how you all doing? Thank you for joining us. Mike Bothwell, good to see you. We're in a race for time here. Can we finish? I don't know. We're going to give it our big try. Remember, the Super Chat is open. Pam Harris, thank you for coming on in. Nathaniel Grieve, welcome to SOR Chat. Vinman, good to see you. Trot Dog, welcome to SOR Chat. Hi, Raz. Ozzy Ozzy, oi oi to you. George Hernandez, Eric the Purple Hobbit, nice to have you here. As we continue on, Nicole Sackage, much love, my friend. And I think we're running out of time here. We're going to make it? I don't think so. Dennis Zuniga, another great veteran. Rob in the UK, thanks for coming on in. Ten seconds before we launch. And we're going to halt it right there with Holly. And do me a favor, everyone, because tonight is going to be rocking. Let's get our horns up. Let's do it right. Let's rock. From the mountains of central British Columbia to you listening around the world, this, my friends, is Spaced Out Radio. I am your host, Dave Scott, sitting in the captain's chair of SOR headquarters. We welcome you to tonight's show on our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on Odyssey Radio, TalkStream Live, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. You can follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire, check out our swag as well. Tonight's show is brought to you by Chive Charities. Help make the world 10% happier by visiting Chive Charities today. You can find them on our website. It is a power show of UFO talk tonight. Grant Cameron, legendary researcher, is here from his beautiful home in Winnipeg, Manitoba, preparing for the jet season where they will finish sixth in the Western Conference this year. Sixth. I'm calling the shot right now. My Oilers, number one, and I'll even sneak my Canucks in there at number two. Then in hour number three, we're going to head to the swamp. Our resident swamp dweller is back for another spooky story. Super Duke comes on in with the uh, make that the cryptid report at Shirky Poo will have the news. If you don't know who Grant Cameron is by now, well, you got to open up 
your eyes and see the amount of research he has done for the last 40 plus years. He's been researcher of the year. He has covered UFOs literally since 19, the 1970s with his tales of Charlie Red Star. He has written numerous books on the subject. He is known as the man who literally dug into all the UFO sightings and knowledge that presidents of the United States have had over the years. But recently, Grant has been digging in to the Wilson documents. Now, this first came to light about a year and a half, two years ago, when him and Michael W. Hall were on this show, and they said, hey, guys, we're working on something big. We can't figure tell the public just yet, but we're almost there. We're almost ready to go. And when we do, the entire UFO world is going to explode. And that's exactly what's happened over the years. The Wilson documents have been a source of discussion and debate ever since then. But it's only been in the last week where Grant has really exploded and shown why he is the Wayne Gretzky of this field once again. And that is because of his notes on a gentleman named Oak Shannon. And we're going to learn all about these new notes coming out, which really, really paints a picture that there is a major cover-up happening in the United States and around the world regarding unidentified aerial phenomena. Grant Cameron, it is always a pleasure to have you on Spaced Out Radio, my friend. You are a hero and a mentor to many of us here. I know it's been a long 72 hours for you. I don't know how you're still staying awake, but thank you for coming on in. Well, thank you, sir. You have such a kind introduction. I should send you a major super chat. Well, no, I, I don't need that. You know, you know when when all of this started uh, exploding, and it started this past weekend, that where I really started to learn my first phone call outside of about seventeen phone calls from Nicole Sackage was to Jimmy Church, and I said, Jimmy, you've got Grant coming on. On Monday, I've got him now. Next, the next night, we got to do something about this. Let's really hammer it. And Jimmy, in his deep, nice voice, because he's got those beautiful dulcet tones. Dave, absolutely, let's do it. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, man, let's do it. So it has literally been the Grant Cameron show in ufology here for the last few days. And Grant, you know, I don't know how you keep pulling these masterpieces out of your notes. But, you know, give a quick synopsis of what's happened the last 72 hours. <laughs> okay, so <clears throat> basically what happened is a um, guy by o the name of Oak Shannon, if anybody um, has been following, uh, he's been tied into the Wilson leaked documents. And um, I had always had his notes Um from a, a um, what used to be called the UFO Working Group, which was the Advanced Physics Theoretical Working Group, which John Alexander put together in the mid-1980s with all these top-secret SCI people in, in a room in a skiff and on the East Coast and stuff like that. So I had these notes, and um, suddenly I got a message that Oak Shannon had gone on Project Unity and given a, um, an interview. And uh, as you know, all the people from the Wilson leak document have all been denying stuff and I wasn't involved and, you know, no, this, uh, these notes aren't real and stuff. And um, so when Oak Shannon went, um, I went, I got to watch the interview and then I saw um, that he confirmed that in the, the notes I have, um, all the members of the, the people that were in this um, secure facility 
um, were listed and on the top it said me. And I remember um, he was asked, um, are you the the um, I here? And he said, well, yeah, I guess I I, I would be the, the, the I. That would be me. And I went, wow, he just confirmed that my notes were, were real. So basically what happened was I had gotten these notes from uh, Dr. Eric Davis, who everybody knows. He's, um, I would say, is probably the sharpest knife in the UFO drawer. He's very, very powerful. If they get um, um, hearings, open hearings in, in Congress, and if I, I basically state, if Eric Davis is given immunity and stands up in front of this committee, is game, set, match. It's over. He's, he knows more than anybody. I mean, I was talking to him back at the turn of the century, and I mean, the stuff he knew, the people he was talking to just blew me away. And um, so I had these Oak Shannon notes. And once Oak Shannon um, had gone public, then I said, well, now I don't have to keep the notes anymore. I'd made an agreement with uh, Dr. Um, Eric Davis that I would keep them until Oak Shannon died. Uh, as Oak Shannon described in the interview that he did with Project Unity, uh, he stated that he had had this major heart attack. He had his out of body experience. Um, he had um, become sort of very religious, and this was the, uh, he wanted to point this out. And so, when I got the notes, he had actually sort of had just had the heart attack. And I was told, you know, he's he's very very sick. He's had these heart attacks. He's probably not going to make it. And um, if he dies, then you can release these notes. And I won't say why. I mean, he, I was told, but I'm I'm not hundred percent sure why the I was given these notes, but. It, it was like ufology. It was like, you know, people are fighting in ufology and they were fighting back then. And I, I believe that I, I was given it to sort of burn somebody. And uh, what happened was Oak Shannon survived and he's still alive today. And um, so once this, this happened, I said, OK, now I, don't, I can release these Oak Shannon notes. Why would I want to keep these if, if, um, if he's gone public? So I, I posted on Twitter that... Um, because um, uh, Project Unity was promoting his site. Hey, look at this interview. I got this exclusive interview. So I posted. I said, oh, okay. Oak Shannon has gone public. So now I'm going to release my my notes that I have, 26 pages of, of handwritten notes from this very top secret meeting that occurred in 1985. And um, I was immediately contacted by Oak Shannon on Twitter. And he said, I'm not going to block what you're doing, but I would like to. I'd like to see what's coming. I'd like to see... Uh, what you have. And um, I said, fine, good. Uh, no problem. They, they were his notes. So I sent them to him and he really didn't say too much. I, I, and I explained how Eric Davis had given me the notes and, and with the heart attack and all, the whole story. And he, he really basically didn't say anything. He said, I don't really know what this is about. You know, the, the notes to him really didn't uh, make total sense. What was this event? And um, he said, how did you get the notes? So I said, well, you were part of this meeting. You were in this meeting. And I don't think he was a major figure in the meeting. He was he was invited because he worked at Los Alamos National Labs. And that's where John Alexander worked. And John Alexander was running this meeting, which actually became a book. Um, it, it New York Times had picked it up and uh, had done a book on this. And they called it the UFO Working Group. It had been leaked out and this big book came out. And so I said, you, you know, you were friends with John and John had this meeting and you were invited to this meeting and you were in this meeting and you took these notes and uh, Eric, you knew Eric Davis and Eric Davis gave them to me. And um, so he really didn't, he really didn't say anything one way or the other. So um, 
I, then I, I decided, okay, the coast is clear. I can, I can uh, release these notes. And I should, I should mention that the reason Oak Shannon is important because when I got the, when I first got the, uh, the, uh, the Admiral Wilson, Eric Davis notes, the ones I was talking to you with Michael Hall, when we were going to, we were going to drop these things. Um, the reason I knew that these were legitimate documents, they were the real documents. I was shown them by James Rigney out of, out of, um, Australia. And as uh, people have heard this story a hundred times, but I was ready to leave, um, Laughlin, Nevada at a conference. And I said to James, I have got no time to see any documents, James, we've got to go to Tucson. I got to be there for six o'clock. I got to go. And, and James said, give me 10 minutes. So, okay, James, you got 10 minutes. So yeah, I sat down, he pulls out this iPad and he shows me this, these documents, which would become the, the Wilson, uh, Eric Davis notes. And uh, I looked at the first page. He wandered off. He wandered off into the casino. And I looked at this and I saw Oak Shannon's name and I saw Eric Davis. So I knew because I'd been given these notes, I knew that Oak Shannon was friends with Eric Davis. And I knew that I was probably one of the 10 people in the world who knew Oak Shannon was. And I knew Oak Shannon, there's nobody's going to hoax this document because they wouldn't know who Oak Shannon was. I said, oh, my God. And so I was, I was sitting there and. And James had wandered off of the casino and I was sitting there with Desta and I'm thinking like, what am I going to do? Uh, he's gone. I mean, I thought maybe I'll pull up my camera and I'll take a, a picture of these of these documents in case I don't get them. Because I'm thinking like, how am I going to get these documents off him? I, I need these documents. And he came back and that's when I made him the offer that I had published a book called Beyond or Managing Magic. And I was going to put out a book called Beyond Managing Magic, which was actually finished. And we actually lost the footnotes at that time. And the book had to be redone, sort of redone with footnotes. And um, so we, we, were, we were going to put it in the book. I said, James, I'll put them in the end of the book, along with the alien autopsy document, which he also gave me. And I said, we'll put them in the back of the book. And I won't say anything about them. And somebody's going to discover them. And they're going to go, what the hell is this? And, and then it's going to explode. And everybody's going to wonder where these docu- you know, where I got these documents from. And um, the, so we didn't do the book. And then what happened was I talked to you when we did the interview with you. And I was describing what was in, these, what was in the notes. Um, I, 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 I was afraid to drop the documents because um, I knew Eric Davis. I knew uh, a lot of the people in the document. And I didn't want to be the guy to cut their throat. So I thought, wow, well, you know, what am I going to do? And then I asked Michael Hall, I said, well, can they sue me? And he said, oh, yeah, they can sue you. And I said, what do you mean they can sue me? <laughs> and I, he really said, well, anybody can sue you for anything. And I, because I was afraid, like, what am I going to do when they, when I drop these documents? These are very powerful people. And um, so what I did was I, uh, I know James Rigney had come up and he had, he had asked me about the documents and he said, can I get a copy? I said, no, you can't have a copy. And uh, then I discovered James Rigney phoned me up and he said, or James Ian Dolly phoned me up and he said, "Oh, he said, um, I think that document. You know that document you were talking about in December." And and I said, "Yeah, yeah, that document." He said, "I I think it's on the internet." And I go, "Really?" I said, "So how many pages is it?" He said, "It's 15." I go, "Yeah, that might be the document." <laughs> I didn't want to admit that it was the document because it was supposed to be dropped anonymously, and that was uh, Chase Williams. And the re- reason Chase Williams got it is at one point I thought, "Well, I'm just I'm just a disclosure guy. I'm not." I'm not here to cover up stuff. So I thought, well, I can, I'm not going to drop the document on the internet. I couldn't do it. I just, I was, couldn't sleep at night. And then I, so I decided, well, anybody had asked for the document, I'll give them the document. So Chase Williams, I was dealing with him. He's an AI guy and a pretty sharp guy. 
and he's we're talking and then he said uh, uh you know that document show me that document and i said yeah okay so i sent him a copy and then he said well why didn't you drop it so i explained you know why i couldn't i was having a hard time you know sleeping and stuff and i didn't want to put it on the internet and he said oh leave it with me and then i remember him phoning me from chicago and he said oh i i'm in chicago i i'm in an elevator and he said i said yeah and he said oh you know those documents you gave me and i said yeah I think they just went on the internet. And I go, holy cow. So, and then, so James Ian Dolly got it. And, um, uh, Giuliano Marinkovic was the first guy to discover it. He picked it off the internet. And then James Ian Dolly had it. And then, um, uh, um, uh, Danny Silva Danny had Silva. it. I remember the, uh, Ian Dolly told me, he said, Danny Silva's got the document. And, and he's, he's wondering to, he was going to release it. And I said, okay, you tell Danny Silva this. You drop this document, you may be the most famous person in the world, but nobody will ever talk to you again. And so Danny Silva wouldn't drop the document. So all these people are sitting there with the document, and it sat on the Internet for at least four months. And I don't know who took it. It sort of got into one of the groups. Somebody posted it. Richard Dolan picked it up. Richard Dolan made this famous phone call that sooner or later people will learn about this, the, the details of this phone call. But he had been shown the document two pages of the document about 10 years ago. Now it would be now like 13 years ago. And he had actually been on Jimmy church about the same little of a month before you, I was on with you. And he had, um, he, I remember James Rigney phoning me up and he said, did you give a copy of the document to Dolan? I said, no, I didn't give it to Dolan. And he said, well, he's got it. I said, well, how do you know he's got it? He said, he's talking about it. I said, what do you mean? He's talking about it. He's on Jimmy Church. He's talking about Jimmy Church. So this is December of 2020. He's on Jimmy Church. And I go, are you kidding me? So I go listen to Jimmy Church. And sure enough, there's Richard Dolan talking about this document. I go, how the heck? Maybe I did give him a document. Maybe I did send him the document. I thought, I can't remember sending him the document. And that was later that I, we discovered that Richard had been shown two pages of this document. And, of course, as soon as Richard got the document, that's when he phoned the guy who showed him the document, who's a very, very powerful guy. And that's the name nobody, people don't know. So he phoned him and he said, hey, I got this uh, document here. Remember you showed me that document? I got the whole thing. I got all 15 pages now. And the guy said, oh, I guess the toothpaste is out of the tube. So from day one, we all knew this document was real. We knew who had, had, had been shown to Richard, and that was the whole thing. So when, the, when we had the, the, um, the notes... Then I thought once um, this this um, physicist uh, Oak Shannon went uh, public and gave an interview, then I said, "Okay, it's all off now. I, the, the the deal's over." And he didn't uh, disapprove. But when we went live, so I decided, well, uh, everybody, I uh, you asked, and Jimmy Church asked, and Project Unity asked. Everybody was asking for an interview, and that's when I said to Nicole, "I mean, I I, I don't know who to who to go to. I mean." Uh, you be the bad guy. I'll, I'll, I want to release it. So I'll release it on your channel. She doesn't have many subscribers. I said, Nicole, I'll release it with you on your channel and you be the bad guy and you arrange the interviews with Dave and Jimmy Church and, and Project Unity. That was all arranged. And then 10 minutes as we go into live feed on the first uh, show with where we're going to drop it on, on Nicole's, suddenly there's this, this message, uh, from Oak Shannon that I have to release it on Project Unity's, uh, yeah. Um, channel and I go well this is like blackmail I'm, I'm not doing this and so Nicole phones him and she's on the phone with him and I said no come on Nicole we're going to go I'm, I'm going I mean this is going to we're not going to talk about the documents I will, I'll, I'll not release the documents uh, but there's no way I'm going to go on somebody's show because somebody's forcing me to go on a show and, and be first 
And uh, so finally she hung up the phone and we did the first show. We didn't show the documents. And then today we had Melinda on and Melinda had a set of documents from uh, uh, Ed uh, Houck who she was friends with, and he was in the meeting too, and her notes aren't as elaborate as mine, but she had uh, uh, confirmed there's certain pages are the same. So the, today we had uh, Melinda, and we went through her notes and uh, Oak Shannon's notes to show that there's two people that have notes, and it went through this whole meeting that we can get into, but it was a very, very elaborate meeting. It happened in a, a, a skiff in on the East Coast, and it was top secret restricted. It was a very, very high-level meeting where they were doing exactly what they're doing now. John Alexander had a group, and they were going to try to get funding from the U.S. government to uh, investigate UFOs, and they ended up not getting it. And that's what they've succeeded with now is, is getting funding. But this was a program that is done, which shows that the Bible is right. The Bible says there is nothing new under the sun. So we think that, you know, Elizondo and this effort that's going on to get funding, it's it's an old story. It's been done over and over again. Uh, these are just the first guys that succeeded in getting funding from the government. Why would anybody try to make you hold back your notes after everything was already set up? To me, that sounds of a hint of arrogance on, on uh, somebody's part. Well, I it wasn't that like that was the thing. People said, "Well, why would you break your agreement with Oak?" But I I notified Oak that he knew I was going to release them, and it wasn't that he said I had to re, had to re, stop releasing the notes. He didn't say you can't release the notes. He said if you release the notes, I would prefer you do it on this guy's channel, and that was because he was going to go on. There was going to be me and Richard and uh, uh, Jay who were talking about. It was going to be this coming Friday. And that was the agreement that Nicole had made with him. And he had agreed to it. And then suddenly, I guess he figured that he had gotten this exclusive interview with Oak and that this tied into his interview and that I should, he actually said in a, in a message on Twitter that I read, it would be a good idea if you just extended that I've got a big channel and I'll get a lot of exposure. And I've got as many people on my channel as him. And, and I, I'm not really interested in, in getting the clicks. That's why I gave it to Nicole. I said, Nicole, she's been a good friend and, and has helped me out on a lot of stuff. So I said, I'll release it on your channel. Where it's Direct auto insurance is for uncompromisers. The people who refuse to make trade-offs in life. They're the ones who proudly say no to living on someone else's terms and schedule. And when it comes to insurance, they find the savings they need to keep driving. And with savings of up to $1,044 per year when you switch to direct auto, you too can stop compromising and keep driving. Get a free quote today at directauto.com or find a store near you. Data from August 2021, new customer survey. Savings of any vary. How you buy can affect price. National General Group, Winston-Salem. Direct Auto Insurance is for uncompromisers. The people who refuse to make trade-offs in life. Like Kelly, when her old car insurance got so expensive that she couldn't afford to drive anymore, do you think she started carrying her groceries for miles? No. But she did find Direct Auto savings that allowed her to drive instead of compromise. With savings of up to 25%, you too can stop compromising and keep driving. Get a quote today at directauto.com. Savings based on applied discounts and will vary. Terms apply. How you buy can affect price. National General Group, Winston-Salem. Really not that much. And we'll go from there and you be the bad guy and you arrange the interviews for all this sort of stuff. And she did an excellent job on it. It was just that somebody backed out of their agreement in terms of getting interviews. Well, I mean, it's also like having a tiny town hall compared to a a mon- having a conference at 
at a major metropolis too. I mean, you want as many people to learn about this stuff. You want as many people out there to get the message. And you know, this is why it did take off. That's where I said to Nicole, I said, Nicole, I said, this is like when I got refused entry to the United States. I said, hang up the phone. You're going to be famous. Everybody's going to know this story. We're going, there's no way they're doing this. I'm going to make this all public. We're going to talk about this. And, she, and finally she hung up the phone and I said, and it turned out right. It went, it, it exploded. It was like a, like sometimes you need a controversy where people are fighting and everybody wants to know what the fight's about. And meanwhile, they get educated as to what's going on. And that's basically what happened. So I think it helps Project Unity. It helps uh, uh, Nicole. It helps me where now everybody's talking about it and um, everybody's, everybody's getting educated as to who Oak Shannon was and who the and what this meeting was that 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 is related and we've just discovered this afternoon we can get into we've just discovered now a connection between the Wilson uh, Davis notes and the meetings at uh, at uh, the BDM facility in uh, in Virginia that it's actually mentioned in the and that was picked up by Melinda Leslie and and at first I didn't get it she said no look at the bottom of the sheet we're looking at Oak Shannon's notes on the on the air and and I didn't notice this and and what she had picked up was that on the very bottom of one of Oak Shannon's notes it said um, uh, a um, a t p dash t e n APT-10, so it's Advanced Theoretical Physics-10. And she said, that's in the Wilson Leak Notes. That's in the Wilson Leak Notes. And I'm thinking, it is? It's like, I don't know, because I've never read the Wilson document. I, I never read it. I read the first page, and I read the one that the talking about uh, having the craft at the end, that, that piece I read. But I've never read the, the, Wilson, the Wilson Leak document. I, never, I saw the first page. That's all I need to see. But she, she said, it's in there. And then uh, Tom Whitmore was in the chat, and he said, in the document, it says AP-10, and so they leave out the T, but we don't know what the 10 means. But it, And, and, it, and the, the Wilson League document says AP-10 BDM, and the BDM is the facility where this meeting placed. So, so actually, uh, Admiral Wilson refers to this meeting that occurred 17 years before. Grant Cameron, legendary UFO researcher on the Wilson documents, Oak Shannon, and UFOs, the cover-up continues. But guess what? People like Grant, Nicole Sackage, and others are breaking down the walls. The secrets will be released. When? How? We don't know. But we got the sledgehammer swinging against the wall on Space Out Radio tonight. Continue right after this. Power first half hour, Grant. Power. That was a slap shot, top corner. <laughs> All right. That's what it was. Yeah. All right. Need to get some water or anything? Uh, no, I'm good for the first half hour. Probably at the top of the hour. I'll... All right. Uh, let's see. Hello to Alex Kuhn coming on in. And Eric Jenkins, welcome to SOR Chat. And uh, let's see here. Uh, Paramarv, good to see you. And who else is coming on in? Um, that's it. That's it. Uh, Grant, uh, they're at, Hallie is asking, have you got any hockey fight stories? 
Anastasia, how you doing? Because <laughs> last last night I was sharing a couple of of the old uh, stories from oh. uh, my day back then. The only one I remember is the Bobby Hall one with the with his toupee. Hi, Billy Nice. Remember that one? I do remember <laughs> that one. Yeah, with John Ferguson. <laughs> he, oh. he, ne- he never loved. He never talked to John Ferguson again in his life. <laughs> Jeez. Jeez, that's terrible. That's just terrible. Yeah, we had we had, we had Ty Domi at, in Winnipeg for quite a while. I remember I, I was thinking back. I mean, I was yeah. like kicking myself. We used to we used to get. I used to run a rollerblade hockey league. Yeah, and uh, so we'd have these little prizes, and I'd buy. We used to sell jet game sticks for five bucks. No and you'd go way. down and buy these things. And I had piles of Ty Domi sticks and I was giving them out to these prizes and stuff like that. And I'm thinking, Oh, if I just kept one stick, Holy cow. Unreal. Wow. Yeah. Now, which Russian did they trade? They traded a Russian to New York for Ty Domi and Chris King. And that was really the changing of the Winnipeg jets to becoming competitive again. Yeah. Yeah, Ty, Ty, Ty was, he was interesting. He was like, he's such a small guy, eh? but when he got into fights, it's like, oh. he's just like, uh, you know, he digging was, and causing trouble. And just, he was wow. even intimidating. Like, you know, going yeah. into like for my job, Grant, when I would actually cover games, uh, you know, going into the dressing room and you see Domi there and you, you think he has his jersey on, you know, and then you realize <laughs> that it's pure muscle. You know, yeah, it's pure muscle. Yeah. yeah, he was, he was, he was an interesting guy. But I, I just kicked myself. All these game sticks, like Solani game sticks. Oh, jeez, gave all these sticks away. Because mm-hmm. that's the big thing now. I gave my kid a a, a Mickey Mantle, nineteen sixty two Mickey Mantle uh, card, two hundred, and it's uh, when I first gave, gave it to him. They were going for like fifteen hundred bucks. Now it's like five thousand. Some people are asking like nineteen thousand for this card, and the the one Mickey Mantle of the, the rookie card sold for like what was it twelve million or something like that. So I told my kid, I said, you know, just hang on to it. You know, it's like everybody's. It's almost like buying paintings now. People are buying sports memorabilia because it's going up so fast that it'll double in a couple of years. My mother said, why would anybody pay that kind of money? I said, because two years from now they'll sell it for double what they bought it for. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, it's just crazy. Oh yeah, and my kid had all these when he was a kid. He, he I gave, I was buying him hockey cards. He's got every Brett Hall card that was ever made, uh, even his uh, before he played uh, pro. And um, so he he's all depressed because you know there's these cards aren't worth anything. I said, you just watch. You hang on to these for ten years, and then you go back through, and you'll have one. You have about five cards that are worth money, but they'll be worth big money. You're gonna have like all the rookie cards of people that. Uh, you know, everybody wished they had. I had, I had Patrick Waugh, Mario Lemieux, Ray, wow. Ray Bork, Glenn Anderson, yeah. Yari Curry, Mark Messier, uh, like I Pat Lafontaine. I had all of their rookie cards. Wow! And I yeah, know, that's... and I know where they are. I just haven't got the balls to to ask for them back. And oh my goodness. And, all you have to do is look on eBay and see what they're selling for. Then you'll, well, you just be shocked at what they're selling for, and then you go on and get them my, back. My, it's my, just my, my sister's fiance was a big hockey card collector, and I never knew yeah. that I was going to have a son. So I wasn't yeah. really into hockey cards. I said, hey, you know, you're part of the family here, here, take that. Yeah, yeah. But now I have a son, 
And I'm like, damn, you don't damn, you know. You know what? Uh, yeah. Quickly, 1982, Montreal Canadian old timers come in to Abbotsford, British Columbia. My dad is doing the announcing of the game. In between the first and second period, my dad takes me into the dressing room. I meet all the old timers, including staring up and standing and looking eye to eye to Maurice Richard. At the wow. end of the night, they gave me a hockey stick, and there's only one autograph on the blade, and that's Maurice Richard. We got to go. Is it a game stick? Yes. Here goes. Here we go. Holy shit. Second half hour of Space Down Radio is now underway. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. We very much appreciate earning your listening ears. Want to remind you that if you miss portions of this show or others, check out our free archives at youtube.com forward slash Space Down Radio. Do old Davey the favor. Hit that subscribe button. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire. Check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. We bring on Grant Cameron right now as we are going to get into the Oak Shannon notes. You know, it, it's been a couple of years since the Wilson documents came out, Grant, but for a lot of people, we're still trying to figure out what's the importance of the Oak Shannon notes that you have, that you have released and put out there to the public, you know, and how does it add to the story? Well, to me, it, it adds the, the the sort of the confirmation that um, I was right about the document. As I said, I've never read the 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 um, the Admiral Wilson Eric Davis notes. All I needed was that first page when I saw the connection, and um, so Oak Shannon um, was the guy that knew and you you goes into Washington where people know people and what happened was that Admiral Wilson had gotten a request from Eric Davis to talk and he didn't know who Eric Davis was and so he he knew Oak Shannon and he said have you ever heard of this uh, Eric Davis guy and Oak Shannon said yeah I know him and he said well, well is he a good guy I mean and you know they're all in this thing about secrecy can he keep his mouth shut and all this stuff and so um uh, Oak Shannon vouched for him and said, yeah, he's a good guy and this sort of thing. And that's why Wilson met with uh, Eric Davis because he had gotten a recommendation from Oak Shannon who uh, knew everybody and uh, the Admiral really respected Oak Shannon. So that's why he met. And then he has this conversation with Eric Davis, Eric Davis. It looks like he recorded it because it's pretty, pretty verbatim. And um, then what happened to, to give people don't have the, the idea of what happened there was um, Eric Davis had these notes and he had um, given them to certain people like Hal Putoff had a copy. It sounds like um, Jacques Vallée may have had a copy and uh, he gave a copy to um, Edgar Mitchell and uh, Bob Bigelow. He'd written because he had, he was the um, physicist for NIDS. And when I met him, he actually was the first guy to get laid off at NIDS. NIDS was shutting down. Eric Davis had been laid off and didn't have a job when I talked to him. 
he was he eventually got a job working for the Air Force on this sort of propulsion thing that he worked on. But at the time I talked to him, he had a job and he was really upset about getting laid off at NIDS and stuff. And he was talking a mile a minute. And he's a very sharp guy. He's got a lot of information. And um, it was about that time when he did the Wilson uh, interview or the interview with the, the Admiral. But I wasn't involved in that. And so these notes uh, were in Edgar Mitchell's file. Then Edgar Mitchell dies. And uh, there's this fellow from Australia who gets a lot of his UFO files. And he's uh, showing them to James Rigney. And James Rigney sees this as being significant. Uh, he gets uh, um, four documents that he provides to me. But he, he has this dream in the middle of the night he, uh, that he should give me these documents at uh, the conference. And so he contacts his wife in the morning. He said, scan the notes, scan the, the, the interview, the Eric, uh, um, the, the Wilson leak documents, scan them and send them to me. And that's when he approaches me with the documents. And finally, uh, I say, yeah, I'd like to put these in the book. And he agrees. And a month later, he sends me four, four documents. So the documents he sends me, and, and that's what freaks me out. I think the, the Wilson document is two pages. When he, when he sends it to me, it's 15 pages. And that's when I freaked out. I went, oh, my goodness, I couldn't believe what was in it. And it's like, I'm looking at this thing, and what am I going to do? And then he sends me the alien autopsy document, which I've always said is the better document. I like the alien autopsy document. People, a lot of people just re seem to refuse to believe the alien autopsy is real. So nobody's ever taken that document seriously. But that was the document that was given to me. A third document was a letter from uh, Bob Bigelow, to Edgar Mitchell, because Edgar Mitchell was on the board of NIDS. That's why Eric Davis knew who he was. And um, so he was sending a letter to um, um, Edgar Mitchell and telling him about what's coming up and when the next meeting is. And they would have these meetings six times a year. And what they would do is they, uh, Bob Bigelow would bring in um, top talent. So he was paying like big money, thousands of dollars a day per guy to bring them in. And so we'd have, Air, Air, you know, uh, Kit Green and Edgar Mitchell and Jack Vallée and all the top guys, he'd bring them in for a weekend and they would sit there and identify uh, projects. So the project they dealt with me on, they were trying to get the Holloman Air Force Base film. That's why they were talking to me. And I had, I knew the producer and they were saying, you know, do you know where the film is? And they're trying to find the film and stuff. And they were going to interview Paul Shardle, the guy who had actually seen the film. And it was a, a film of a UFO landing at, Hol at Holloman Air Force Base. And the aliens come out and they're greeted by these officials and stuff. And this is all caught on camera. And um, so they, they, they basically... Um, contacted me about that and they wanted to know what the Canadians were doing in, in terms of propulsion in the 1950s. So um, I, Eric had given these documents and uh, they were provided to me, I guess this would be um, in, in November of 2020. In that's when I met uh, James Rigney. He sent me the documents in December and I started talking about them on your show. I think maybe even done even two shows with you, at least one when I got Michael and I got Michael because I was, I was so afraid of what was going to happen. I need a lawyer. And I, even Jimmy Church refers to that. He said, you came to me in February at the uh, consciousness life expo. And he said, you were, you were actually shaking. And, and then you said, this is my lawyer. <laughs> and Jimmy Church says, "I couldn't believe it. This guy's got a lawyer now." And but I was so I was so petrified with by what was going to happen when I dropped these documents. And um, 
then we we as I told I told the story of how we dropped the documents, and then when they when they came out, I just sort of ducked as I did two days ago. I just said, okay, that's it. And I turned off everything. I didn't answer emails or phone calls or anything like that, and uh, waited for it. And when Richard got it, it exploded. And I remember Richard phoning me, and Richard says to me, he says, uh, I still want anything to do with it. He said, I got these documents, fifteen pages of documents. And uh, I, they, they, they come from you. And I said, uh, Richard, you're on your own. Goodbye. <laughs> I hung up the phone. It's like, you, you know, like now you've got him. Now, now it's your problem. And uh, so he, he went with it. I give him credit. He, he made a big deal out of it. And a lot of people paid attention. And it took off. But the thing was, there was other documents that were involved. And most people don't know. There was the, as I said, there was the Oak Shannon notes that I just dropped, which are related. And there was the, uh, the, uh, the, notes that uh, uh melinda leslie had from this meeting and the the meeting may be the 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 more important thing because it was it was basically these very high level guys top secret sei guys uh discussing every subject you could think of in ufology and the big one that they did but we we actually brought in um uh science bob today yes. he he was watching the, the the conversation we had the four-hour conversation we had today on the calls channel and he came on and he he, he questioned I talked about the president uh, with the with the Donald Trump thing. I said, you know, the president can declassify, but you can't fill up a box full of files and walk away with it. They belong to the government. And the same thing applies to the film. And I, I was making this point that that um, Chris Mellon has now admitted that he and Elizondo snuck the films out of the Pentagon. And I said this all along. I said, when you resign in disgust at the Pentagon, they don't give you UFO films for a goodbye present. The films belong to the government. So you can say all you want. They're declassified. That doesn't, it doesn't as, as the judge ruled in the Trump case, that does not make it personal. You can't take the stuff home. It belongs to the government. And and so they've admitted this, that these, di- these films were, were sneaked out of the Pentagon. On. And um, we actually, Nicole and I worked on, I can never remember her name, but uh, the, the girl, we actually have the girl at, in the Pentagon that actually get, packaged the, the videos for um, uh, Lou Elizondo. And um, so we, we, we worked on a, a lot of this stuff. And um, this afternoon was we brought in Bob to talk about the technical stuff because there's a lot of technical scientific stuff. And uh, Bob just got going. I said, Nicole, bring him in. And he comes in. And then I said, Bob, let's just go through the, and this is something you may want to do. He, he just took the document and we went through it line by line. And Bob explained what this means, what this means. And he knew exactly. He's like, you just flowed out of him. And he, but the thing was, he only had half an hour. So I said, I'll send you the document and you read through it and tell me what's significant. What should we t- pay attention? And I think that may be the, the most important thing that's going to happen now is, is what happened with the Wilson document is that there's a lot of the young guns, the, uh, young researchers, people like you, people that are watching this thing right now who are going to take it and who are going to discover something that we don't know. And it's going to be torn apart and there's going to be all sorts of new stories, all sorts of new witnesses coming forward. And that's what's going to happen. And Bob was part of that this afternoon in, in describing to me stuff on there that I really didn't know what the heck they were talking about. But Bob knew like like the frequency. There's a frequency that's attached to a UFO. You, I, mean, I don't know if people know that, 
Bob knew that, and he described how this frequency. I mean, how what what this what the uh, the actual frequency means in terms of you know how many times it goes through the coil and all this kind of stuff. And it was just fascinating. And uh, so I'm going to do that, and I hope you do that with Bob. Is get Bob to discuss the document as to what he sees because he's looking at it with different eyes than I am. I'm just looking at uh, stuff like uh, who's there, what their names are, and stuff like that. But Bob knew all the the technical stuff they were talking about, and it was just absolutely fascinating. Grant Cameron is our guest tonight on Spaced Out Radio. One of the things I'm taking out of this, Grant, is to me it adds more of the puzzle pieces to the UFO cover-up. It adds more yeah. pieces that this does go right to the White House, that every military option, every alphabet agency is covering up this story and that they are are trying to piece it together as secretly as possible, not just from other countries and adversaries, but from every person on this planet. And I think this is just a real proving ground, the Oak Shannon documents, that they are essentially saying, look, the Wilson docs are real. Edgar Mitchell had it right to hold on to these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, and, it, and there was a lot of interesting stuff that showed. Uh, I'll give John credit, John Alexander credit. When you look at the Wilson leak uh, documents, John's story is actually very accurate, the way he tells the story. And what he says is that they were doing exactly what they're doing right now. They were trying to get money. They were trying to get the base, the base, the best cases they could. So you see them trying to figure out which cases are we going to use, how are we going to film this and, and, and pr- promote it. And um, you see that they go, as John describes, he goes to all the different people trying to get funding in the government. Now, things have changed now. A lot of people don't realize this is 1985. So it's not like now you can talk about UFOs and people don't, you know, make the cross and walk away from you and stuff like that. In 1985, it was still very toxic. And John talks about the fact that he'd gone to all the high level government agencies and he tried. Direct auto insurance is for uncompromisers, the people who refuse to make trade-offs in life. They're the ones who proudly say no to living on someone else's terms and schedule. And when it comes to insurance, they find the savings they need to keep driving. And with savings of up to $1,044 per year when you switch to Direct Auto, you too can stop compromising and keep driving. Get a free quote today at directauto.com or find a store near you. Data from August 2021, new customer survey. Savings of any vary. How you buy can affect price. National General Group, Winston-Salem. Direct Auto Insurance is for uncompromisers. The people who refuse to make trade-offs in life. Like Kelly, when her old car insurance got so expensive that she couldn't afford to drive anymore, do you think she started carrying her groceries for miles? No. But she did find Direct Auto's savings that allowed her to drive instead of compromise. With savings of up to 25%, you too can stop compromising and keep driving. Get a quote today at directauto.com. Savings based on applied discounts and will vary. Terms apply. How you buy can affect price. National General Group, Winston-Salem. To sell this thing and the fact that we needed to investigate UFOs and nobody would do anything. And he tells the story about going to the guy who ran uh, SDI, the Star Wars thing. And he he they, and he made the presentation. They did the briefing, and the guy said, "Oh, I'm with you on this, but I'll tell you what: there's no way I'm funding you, because not only will I lose the funding I give you, they're after me already for my funding. I got the biggest budget in the in the Pentagon. They're after my money. Not only will I lose your money, I'll lose all this money. They'll take everything away from me. I'm not funding it. Get out of my office. And they, and that's basically what it was. And that's what you see in the document. You see." At one point, at the end, they check off who they went to. So they went to Keyworth. 
And I recognize these names because I did the president. So Keyworth was the science advisor to President Reagan in the 1980s. Then Poindexter. Poindexter was the national security advisor to the president. Then it And it says, no, Keyworth, no. Poindexter, no. And then it has P, which is the president, no. Vice president, no. And then it has uh, uh, Dr. Cooper. And they go through all these things. And basically, they have one guy who I'm, I'm sure everybody's going to be going after. And his name is now going to escape me. But there was one guy... Uh, who said maybe, and he was a guy who was uh, actually tied into ET, the ET issue, and they said maybe, and so I'm sure a lot of researchers are going to try to figure out who this guy was. He was a high-level government guy, and th- whether this guy is still alive and try to talk to him, because they went to him for funding, but eventually, as John described it, they didn't get any funding, and the whole program just sort of shut down, plus it was leaking. And that's in Jacques Vallée's book. You'll find, if you start to look, that there's a lot of supporting evidence that Jacques Vallée talks about the fact that that he was talking uh, with uh, Hauk, who was um, uh, Melinda Leslie's notes, that he had talked to somebody and it had started to leak. And um, Hal Putoff had made the comment, this just proves, because this thing's already leaked, this top secret thing. How did, how did this get out? How did Hauk talk about this? And uh, um, Putoff had said, this just proves you can't keep anything secret, because they had tried to keep the secret, and immediately it was leaking. And that's the thing. The New York Times actually did a book called Out There. How, Howard Bloom had written a book on this. And, of course, John was denying, no, I'm not the guy in charge of this uh, program. But John described it, and that's exactly what happened, was that in the 1980s, you couldn't sell this, and they were pr- talking to the wrong people. So John said, all the people I talked to weren't involved in UFOs, and that's true. So if you go to the State Department, they're going to go, get out of here, we're not doing UFOs. And you go, the, the Air Force, they say, we're here to you know fly planes and drop bombs. We're not doing that. And nobody wants to touch the subject. So that's what John had, is this situation that there is no UFO department in the, in the government. And I'll give them that. But it's interesting to see at the end all these names, like Keyworth, the science advisor, the president, national security advisor, the president, the vice president. And it was all, no, 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 we're not getting funding. They're not going to give us funding. So they'd gone through the loop and talked to these people. And now you see it's it's rolling. And now you have these, you know, we had this big debate last night about Lou Elizondo, whether he's whether he's running the uh, UAP program at uh, at. Um, at uh, the uh, space command and Jimmy church said, Oh, that's just rumor on the internet and that's garbage. And uh, that's, he, he's just, he may be just a contractor. I said, well, you're guessing too. And I'm guessing and everybody's guessing. And that's the problem. We got all this secrecy and every, nobody even knows what Lou Alexander does for a living. And then this afternoon, Tom started to confirm he's a contractor for, for space command. And we know who the source is. And we maintain that he's, he's running whatever UAP program they have at, at space command and that you get into these sort of debates and stuff starts getting dragged out. And that's what's going to happen in these fights. Uh, people are going to learn more and more and more. But the more it's almost like they, the I always make the this thing. We are no different than any other social or political movement, whatever it is, whether it's African American rights, the women's right to vote, or whatever. People have to sort of ride in the streets and do all this kind of stuff to get stuff done. And we, the more we talk about this, it's like African Americans or whatever in the 1950s or 60s. They made a lot of bad jokes about them, made a bad a lot of bad movies about them. But it's like Hollywood. As long as they spell your name right, it's all good publicity. Trump always goes that thing. It's all good publicity just get your name on the front page 
And that's what's happening is you, you have these controversies and you have this, this the, the, the fire's on again and, and there's a big dumpster fire going and the UFO thing and people are talking and, they, and, and the more people look, the more they talk, the more people do investigation. And a lot of real, there's a lot of really good researchers who are going to get new pieces to the puzzle and that just moves us down the road because uh, according to what i've heard the, the the wilson document is being used as a as a roadmap for congress because congress didn't know what was going on and now they've got some actual names and confirmations from high level people that this document is real and they're going after the people in this document and now you're going to add some names to the to the, the list from the oak shannon notes they're going to look at the oak shannon notes and start looking at those people which names should we be following? Which names should we be listening to, Grant? Oh, I would, well, I'll, maybe after the the break, I'll I'll read you the names from the. Uh, well, I, I guess I can right now. How many How many minutes have we got? We, we got five and a half minutes. Okay, so let me read you the names here, and then, and this was shown uh, by um, Project Unity to um, Oak Shannon, and he confirmed there's a there's a, it has attendees, it has me. So that was the question he was asked. Are you the me that's in this in this document? And that's when he confirmed, yeah, I guess I would be the me in the doc in in this document. So he confirms me. So you have Oak Shannon, you have the, at the, attending this thing, and this guy I really didn't know, Bill Wilkinson from the CIA, Hal McConnell, who's an interesting guy because um, the New York Times said that the the story was leaked to them by the National Security uh, somebody inside the National Security Agency, and Hal McConnell was with the National Security Agency. So he's a guy, John Alexander, everybody knows, Bert Stumblebine, everybody knows, General Stumblebine, the guy who was the, doing the spoon bending and tried to walk through the wall and the staring at goats, that was all Stumblebine. Uh, and Hal put off, everybody knows, uh, Jack Houck, who was with uh, McDonnell Douglas, that's where Linda's got his notes. He died and then the wife called people in uh, and the researchers went in there and pulled all the UFO files and they found his notes from this 1985 top secret UFO meeting. And so Jack Houck, then there's Ed Speakman, who I really don't know. People are going to be looking at him in SCOM. Bill Souter from McDonnell Douglas. People are going to be looking at that. There was a guy from BDM. That's where they held the, in the skiff. They had a secure skiff at BDM. That's where they held the meeting. There was somebody from BDM. They don't have his name. It's just blacked out. And then Jake Stewart. I don't know. It's USDRE, the department. Uh, I've never dealt with him. People will go in after him. Ralph Freeman. Uh, and they don't even have, it's just a big question mark as to who he works for. Bob Wood, we know uh, from McDonnell Douglas, I actually leaked his documents. He had a 1968 study where James Mc, uh, uh, McDonald gave him half a million dollars because uh, uh, Bob Wood went to uh, McDonald uh, ran uh, McDonnell Douglas and he said, I'll tell you what, either Boeing's going to get this thing, this UFO technology, or we're going to get it. And so he said, okay, you got half a million dollars, study UFOs. And they had all these engineers, and they were regressing abductees, 1968. And Bob Wood's notes were sold on the Internet. Some guy died. The guy was doing the regressions. His notes uh, became public because he died, and the guy found his notes, and they sold them for $29 on eBay. And then they gave me his notes, and Bob was really upset when I put them on the Internet. So how'd you get my notes? And I said, well, somebody sold them on eBay and then they gave them to me. And these are notes of the 1968 meetings where they were trying to investigate UFOs. So, And then you have Lockheed, which is the big one. And that's uh, Ron Blackburn, who's a friend of uh, Melinda Leslie. And she's going back to him. 
she's going to ask Ron Blackburn, what do you think about these notes that are leaking out, Ron? And and then he's going to look at the notes and she's going to say, can you give me your notes from the meeting? And we may now have, a, it depends. We may get a third set of notes from this, this top secret meeting. And then Bob, uh, Don Kimball, who um, was with Lockheed as well. And then Gary Bright. Uh, we don't know who he's from, but he's mentioned. But those are the, the main names, but a lot of names that people haven't heard. So a lot of people are going to be digging into who these people are and what their connection was and do they have a UFO connection. And that's where it spreads. So it, it just goes. And I think we're on a roll now in terms of uh, Congress looking for leaks. And I think, uh, as I said, uh, we, if we get an open hearing with um, uh, people with immunity, if you put up Hell Put Off and Eric Davis there, and uh, you you run it for 24 hours, it's all over. They're going to tell you exactly who's running it, what where the stuff is, where the hardware is. It's game, set, match, it's over. And I think we're, we're that close. And I've heard the immunity has been approved, the, the language for the immunity. And you're going to have Admiral Wilson has agreed to go. Oak Shannon, I think, will agree to go. A lot of these guys will go. And they, they don't have to worry about the security clearances. They don't have to worry about getting fired. And they're going to start talking. And it's all going to unravel within hours. We have about 90 seconds here, Grant. You say it'll it'll all uh, revolve around hours, but that's a lot of hope and and that this entire bunch of people come together and say enough is enough, let's bring it public. Well, all you need is one public hearing. Even even if you have one public hearing with Eric Davis, Eric Davis alone, I know the stories. I and and I've told this story. I've sort of hinted like Lou Alessandro giving the breadcrumbs. I dealt with Eric Davis, and let me tell you what. Eric Davis told me who he was talking to. He's a former intelligence officer in South Korea. And let me tell you what. He was dealing with the uh, Wilson, uh, uh, head of intelligence for the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Let me tell you what. He was talking to people a lot higher than that and talking to them on the phone. So you get these people, and that's 20 years ago. So what does he know now? What has Eric Davis discovered since now? All you need is Eric Davis to blow this thing. I've always been skeptical. I always wrote an article called The 64 Reasons. They discovered, they decided not to tell you the truth. I told Steve Bassett there would not be disclosure until 2042. I'm now saying when I saw the New York Times article and this thing blew up in a 24 hours, I now say I would not be surprised at anything happening, anything unraveling in 24 hours. I was so shocked in 2017. I never believed that would happen. So now I'm, I'm on the other side now. I, I can believe that things are going to happen very, very fast and unravel very fast. And to me, Eric Davis is the key. If Eric Davis is in an open hearing, it's over. Grant Cameron, legendary UFO researcher, the Oak Shannon Wilson documents. Coming up next, we're going to ask Grant about immunity on the UFO subject. Is it even possible in the United States of America? Hour 2 of Spaced Out Radio is coming up right after this. All right, Grant, we're clear. I'm going to send you to the green room because I know you need to uh, freshen up, and I'm going to go freshen up. We'll be right back, everyone.
Shut down new physics. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I gotta run here. Okay, own it. Own bye. Bye. Hello, everybody. Grant will be right back. What a good night. Hey, Evan Tide, how you doing? Big shout out tonight to our super chatters. Big Dog, Pam, D. Cohen, Pascal, Dijo, Marty, Mike, Thomas, and Lori. Thank you so much for your support of SOR. We very much appreciate the love. What a power show tonight. Guys, this is one we're all going to have to replay. Uh, Sun Saver, you nailed it. You nailed it. Feel like I missed a great show. Well, uh, even the information, it's coming so fast at us. I highly suggest, too, that you guys all go, and I'm going to put Nicole Sackage's a YouTube channel in here. You're going to want to subscribe to this as well. Okay. Because the interviews that she had earlier today with Grant and Melinda, and then her and Grant earlier on, uh, you're definitely going to want to listen to that. If you have interest in this subject, here's Nicole Sackage's YouTube channel. Make sure you go hit subscribe on that. Hey there, James. How you doing, buddy? Good to have you here. James Landoli, right there. <coughs> hmm. It's big. Big, 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 big. So make sure you go hit up uh, Nicole Sackage's channel and, uh, and uh, put that in your favorites. If you haven't subscribed to that, Robert Lamoth, how you doing, buddy? Good to see you. Oh, hey, Clam. This is why Grant's a powerhouse. There he is. The Grantsky of ufology right there. <laughs> yeah. All right, we got 10 seconds, everyone. Uh, we're going to launch. I will try and get questions in. I don't know if we'll have time. But uh, we'll do our best here as here we go. Hour number two starts now. You're listening to Spaced Out Radio with Dave Scott. Follow Dave on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio and on Facebook Spaced Out Radio Show. Hour number two of Spaced Out Radio is now underway. My name is Dave Scott. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. We very much appreciate Earning your listening years wherever you are on this beautiful planet we call Earth. Hello to everyone, including the Doug Shelby, for listening in live tonight on our terrestrial affiliates around North America and digitally on Odyssey Radio, TalkStream Live, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor. Hit that subscribe button. The Desert Clam has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Idiophone. Idiophone is your password. Use it wisely, Space Travelers, as the Clam sets the password each and every night right here on Spaced Out Radio. 
Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. Legendary UFO researcher Grant Cameron is here talking about Oak Shannon and the new documents that have come out to support the Wilson documents claiming a UFO cover-up is going on in Washington, D.C. and all around every political affiliate and alphabet agency and military agency out there right now. Grant has been at the forefront of this for over two years on this subject. And Grant, thank you so much for being public with it. Well, thank you. I mean, you you mentioned the immunity thing, and um, the thing that comes to mind with me is that when you make a move to go public, it take you take a hit, and um, I've taken a hit. I'm I'm sort of famous for, and I actually now use it. You know that if you want to tell me a secret, I tell you. Uh, you you probably better not to tell me because I'm going to tell everybody. And and I've got this reputation. I was dealing with a lot of these big guys, and the minute uh, I started to, I leaked one. Uh, item about who Eric Davis was talking to and boom, they all stopped talking to me. And that was um, a situation where um, there's a story told about a very senior UFO guy who knows a lot of stuff, who was asked the question, could you name the 12 guys who basically are running the show? And he said, yeah, I could probably do that. And then he was asked, well, why don't you do it? And he said, cause you'd go to the New York times, they'd print an article. I would have to deny it. And nobody would ever talk to me again. And I think that's a big part of, of what happens in the field is that if you're working on this stuff, that you're trying to figure it out as well. So you're trying to get people above you and you're sort of keeping your stuff secret to figure out what's going on above you. And uh, you you get into this uh, situation where nobody's nobody's giving anything out. And if you do give stuff out, then nobody talks to you anymore and you get cut out of the loop and suddenly you can't figure out what's going on. So that's one of the problems in the immunity thing is we have the one guy who I met. I'll give you an example. We have the one guy who I met who is Tim. T- OK, Tim Taylor, who is Tyler D in the book American Cosmic. OK, so I met him in 2013. Uh, you probably know Mark Olson here from Winnipeg. Mark- Direct auto insurance is for uncompromisers, the people who refuse to make trade-offs in life. They're the ones who proudly say no to living on someone else's terms and schedule. And when it comes to insurance, they find the savings they need to keep driving. And with savings of up to $1,044 per year when you switch to Direct Auto, you too can stop compromising and keep driving. Get a free quote today at directauto.com or find a store near you. Data from August 2021, new customer survey. Savings of any vary. How you buy can affect price. National General Group, Winston-Salem. When was the last time you totally logged off and took all of your vacation days? Well, Michelob Ultra Pure Gold can help with a little PTO. That's paid time outdoors. Pure Gold has a PTO experience that will help you get away from every ping. Go to MichelobUltra.com slash PTO to request your PTO for a chance to win a trip for four to an amazing remote destination. Enjoy responsibly. No purchase necessary. Open to U.S. residents 21 plus void or prohibited. Enter by 10-14-22. For official rules, visit MichelobUltra.com slash contest dash rules. Mark Olson set up this meeting. There was all these rich guys showed up in uh, Pennsylvania at this cabin. I was invited. There was me and Chris Bledsoe were the only guys that didn't have any money in the room. Everybody else was like, and 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 uh, I guess Peter Peter Roberts, 
yeah, Peter Robbins was there and he didn't. So anyway, but a lot of rich guys in the room and they were talking and uh, Tyler D was there and I met him and he introduced me to an experiencer from Manitoba and one of the best cases I've ever seen. I've been in contact with her ever since. And anyway, we had this conversation, whatever. And he told me the story about the, the invention that he made, which was rumored to have been sold the company on NASDAQ for $100 million. And he got it in the middle of the night. Uh, he said, the last thing I remember the night, the morning I woke up with the idea, last thing I remember in the middle of the night was a hooded figure standing at the end of the bed. And this is told about, the story is told in, in, in Diane Pasolka's book, American Cosmic, about this guy. He's got 40 inventions. He has this protocol to, for talking to beings and they talk to him and he invents all this medical stuff and this sort of stuff. Well, this guy's hiding. I mean, I know who he is. Uh, a couple of people, his name's been floated around. Uh, he's in, he's in NASA, he's in, uh, NASA. So, or NASA. So let me tell you, uh, the story that's told to show you what he may be able to, if he's brought in front of Congress and they may ask him this question, did this happen? So he goes to the Bledsoe house. He's got a piece of metal, takes the kid. And he says to Ryan, he says, hold your hand out, puts a piece of metal in his hand. He said, what do you feel? He said, nothing takes a second piece of metal, puts it in his hand. He said, what do you feel? He said, I feel this vibration going out my arm. He said, good. He takes it. He puts it in, in the daughter's hand. Same thing. She feels this vibration up her hand. Then they do the, 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 the other two sons. They put it to get the vibration, this sort of vibration from these two pieces of metal. They take uh, Chris Bledsoe's Jr.'s, uh, Chris Jr., his girlfriend. They put it in her hand. Nothing happens. Then they put it in Chris Bledsoe's hand. And he basically goes almost like into seizure, into a coma. He's just totally um, taken by this thing. And the so uh, Tyler D says the the vibration means you've been face to face with an with a being, and this is with this metal. So what do they know? I mean, do you hear that story? And he's talking in the book. He talks about the room. There's this object in the room, in the next room that's sealed off, that helps people think, that helps them get into this field. And they're right next to this thing in this other room, whatever it is. I mean, those kind of stories that, that are the briefing of President Obama. I mean, we've got all these stories about him. And, of course, he's hiding because he doesn't want to come public. And that's the thing. These people will take a hit. But if you can take away that 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 hit from them, and, and allow them to come forward because you even know that you, we're friends with Bob, Bob, Science Bob. Well, Science Bob basically got a hit on his on his security clearance because he sort of got involved. He said some stuff and, and whatever, and he's fighting to get back into his security clearance. So they, that's what all people are trying to uh, avoid is is this security clearance. And so it was called intelligence blowback. When, when I leaked some stuff and some of these people came to me and they were very upset or whatever, and they called it intelligence blowback. So when you say something, so say you leak something, as is what they're doing with the, with the, with the documents in Mar-a-Lago right now. They do an intelligence analysis. They want to see what has been leaked. What, how did this get out? Uh, who, who maybe uh, have this stuff? What's the? Uh, how many people are going to react? So they sit there, like when 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 they when these uh, uh, notes came out from Wilson, as as Bob McGuire pointed out, and I think a lot of other people point out, there would have been an FBI investigation as to what the hell happened here, what, what what's going on. All these people, they would be 
waiting for the people to come to their door to to get get interrogated. What what did you give out? Why did you give it out? Uh, all this kind of stuff, and they can lose their job, their security clearance, and it's called intelligence blowback. So when I did, the one person told me, "Now we have to wait to see what the intelligence blowback is going to be as to what you have done, what you have said." But to me, I'm just so tired of the secrecy. I'm getting old. Uh, my health is not what it was anymore. And I'm, I'm what I've been tired of for years. I just I just don't. And I just tell people uh, I don't want to play the secrecy game anymore. And uh, I think it's time that we go out because a lot of people have got a lot of secrets. And it's almost like everybody's playing spy. Everybody's got 10, sec- 10, 10 uh, people giving them material. And they're gathering it and collecting it like, you know, like stamps or coins or whatever. And to me, I, I just uh, think that the time may be right, even though... Uh, I don't think you're going to get the the, uh, you, the disclosure people think that you're going to get because if you get um, the fact that there are uh, intelligences uh, that can run, run around the United States do whatever they want and they're 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 aliens and uh, everybody's going to want to shoot them and uh, it's going to be a real ugly scene. It's not going to be the the kumbaya situation that people think it is. Even now, you've got this thing about the enemy and and the threat and all this kind of stuff. That um, I think the just the acknowledgement that they're they're here is going to cause some concern among some people as to uh, what their intentions are and that sort of stuff. And the, the the key thing that they're I think they're afraid of is that they have no control over this this phenomena. As Jim Semivan says, I remember John Alexander. There's a story told me in 2016 that John Alexander had gone to Jim Semivan, and Jim Semivan had said, "John, this is real." It's absolutely real. This, there's, the government's working on this, and it's all real. And then so John says, okay, so who's running it? Because John wanted to know, like, who in the government is running it? I talked to all the agencies. And Jim Semivan said, they are. And that's the whole thing. Jim, Jim Semivan, who's had the beings in his room, said, there, there does not even appear to be a there there. He said, when they have the in, in, in investigation in Congress, they're probably not even going to know what questions to ask. And that's how far down the road he thinks this technology is and how powerful this intelligence is and that we really don't know. And that's what John came up to. And that's the analysis that came with this meeting, this 1985 meeting, is the same as the the uh, what they call the, the core story that Jacques Vallée and Kit, Kit Green and Hal Putoff came up with the Den, Denny's Restaurant. Yes, UFOs exist. We have some hardware, and we are very—we're not having any success back engineering the hardware, which means we, there are UFOs, and beyond that, they're running the show. We have no control over what's going on. Grant Cameron is here tonight talking about the Wilson documents and Oak Chan. And Grant, you know, we talk about this new physics that, you know, going back to the 1960s, they were talking about this new physics that needs to come up. And now we're seeing more quantum physics coming into play. And we're starting to be able to, if we could believe the military, be able to pick up where these craft are coming from, where they're heading, you know, via radar. We've seen it with the F-18 Super Hornets uh, the United States Navy has. Are we going to see more of this happening as we try and figure out where these craft or beings are coming from well you're going to see more of confirmations of crafts in the sky or around or being picked up by sensors but i always talk and i gave that lecture when i was at your conference about the theory of wow that i think a lot of this is the aliens for example when 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 the beings dropped from eighty thousand feet down to sea level in seven eighths of a second what was that was that a pre-abduction maneuver? Was that, uh, what was that? It was showing off. It's like, hey, look at this. What's this? 
because we had the same thing with Charlie Red Star. I jumped in three frames of film, 5,000 feet in the air from the ground. So they, they do this kind of stuff. And that's what got me to go out, that, that film of this thing jumping off the ground. And, and so that's what a lot of it is. And um, we, we have a situation where um, the, the, the beings are, are, are controlling the thing. And um, the, the government really just, they just have no, no sense of what to do. Now, repeat your questions and I'll, because I've lost my train of thought here. Well, just in regards to the new physics, I mean, are well, you- new physics? Yeah. So I, I'm way down the road. The way the way I've I've gone, as you know, I, I in 2012 I had the experience in, in listening to a lecture in Phoenix, Arizona, where I got this download about the fact that it's all got to do with consciousness. I've gone way down the road in terms of my the latest book I'm sort of working on now is the whole idea about what is reality, what is really going on, like what are you actually seeing? Because you get stories of. Um, for example, my friend, the, the guy who dropped the document, uh, has has the DMTs, experimenting with DMT, and he has the abduction experience on DMT. And he says, it was like, as real as real. It was like real as the real world. And the beings were there, and I was on this table, and, and uh, I couldn't see their heads. I could see their arms and stuff. They're working on my head and stuff like that. And you start to question what is reality. And what, what I would say is that the way I'm looking at it is, the, the the one beings that I, the beings I talked to, the ones they were called the beings from Great Britain, I talked to them. And that's when I asked them, I said, are you extraterrestrial? And they said, oh, if you want us to be extraterrestrial, we could be extraterrestrial if you want. We could take you to our planet. But no, we're not extraterrestrials. We've always been here. So they're leaving these little hints about they've always been here. And people think, well, they're living under the sea or whatever. But when you get down to the whole thing, you go back to the beginning of quantum physics and you look at all the guys. Max Planck said consciousness is primary. Bohr, who invented, who got the Nobel Prize for atoms, said matter as such does not exist. And it's this whole idea. They were all realists. They were all people who believed that consciousness creates matter, not the other way around. And that's the thing we've got to get into our heads and we've got to realize we haven't, we've got everything backwards. And that's what Nolan talks about. He talks about the 5% of stuff that's off the chart. So when he, he's a, a student is giving a presentation and he's, he's got the bell curve and he says, what are those things off the, off the, off the bell curve? What about those? How do you explain those? And that's what he's saying. It's the 5% anomalies that don't fit into the pattern, which indicates to you something's wrong. If, we understood the world the way we think we understand the world, these UFOs wouldn't be here. They couldn't get here. That's absolutely impossible. That means something we're thinking is wrong. And I say the basic thing I got wrong is that consciousness is primary. That there, as, as John Wheeler said, this horrifying thought, there is no out there, out there. You have the thing about non-local uh, non-local uh, time and space or non-locality, that there's no time and space. If there's no time and space, Dave, how big is the universe? It could be like just a dot. And it's a whole thing. And, and one of the things it shows is you have Betty Andreas and Betty Andreas gets abducted. She tells this whole story. She's with the beings. They go into these rooms. They get fly her here. Then she goes through this, through the, and you know, all those elaborate things with these different beings. And then they take her home in this glass sort of orb, which Chris Bledsoe also described being in this glass orb. And he said it's, it seemed like it seemed like three months and it was like four hours. 
or it seemed like four four months. It was four hours, and she was arrived home. They dropped her off in the backyard, off out of this orb that didn't have any propulsion system, didn't have anything. And she was looking for the for the engine. There's nothing in there. She couldn't figure out how does this thing fly. She's looking, and they drop her off. She says, "Oh, I'm so happy to be home. I ran to the trailer. I ran into the house, and my husband was still sleeping. And I went into my bedroom and I looked, and I was sitting on the side of the bed." And that's the whole thing. Is this what we really think it is? What are we really seeing? Are we, is this like a dream type environment where they're coming in and there is no time and space? It's all dimensional. It's all vibration. It's like a radio. They change the frequency. They're on one frequency. We're on another frequency. They can pop in. And the story I always tell people to, to understand how this might be taking place is when I did the interview of Leslie Kane. My, the girl that was doing the interview with me, Sinead, she wanted to ask all these questions. I couldn't care less. But I wanted one question. I said, Leslie, tell me about the hand. Did that really happen? And she said, yeah, it happened. I said, Leslie, tell the story of the hand. And she tells this story that she's sitting at this table. There's a, there's a, a red light under the table. And the, 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 the medium, she's with uh, Stuart Alexander is a medium. He's in the room tied up in this, in this uh, room on the other side of the room. And uh, she says that this stuff comes, starts coming up on the table, like, like sort of like, uh, well, it's ectoplasm, but it's sort of like watery stuff coming up on the table. And it comes up on the table, and then the hand starts to form. The arm and the hand starts to form. And it's sitting there, and she's right there. She's looking at it, and she touches it. And she shakes the hand. She feels the knuckles. She feels the, the the tendons. And that's all there is is a hand there. She's feeling it. She said it's as real. It was, it was warmer than a regular hand. It felt soft like a baby's hand. But she said it was a real hand, and I've had the experience a number of times. And then she said the thing banged on the table to prove that it was real, and she said it just went and went back into wherever it came from. And that's what I think they're doing. They're coming in, they're popping in and they're popping up, but there may not be any time and space. So when they say they're here, we're here, everything's here. It's example, you have an out-of-body experience. You go, you have an out-of-body experience. You look back at your body. Where is your body? Where is your brain? It's in your consciousness. Your consciousness is floating around and your body's inside your consciousness. You're looking at your body. So it's inside your consciousness. You look out the window, you're out of your body. You look out the window, you see the, the, the plants and the, the uh, planets and stuff. The planets are in your consciousness. And that's when you hear, you start getting, people start to describe this. Stephen Greer uses this expression that the Sufis used. You think yourself a puny form. When within you, the entire universe is enfolded. And that's what I think it is. Everything's inside you. And what it is, is you go inside. When you die, you go inside. When you have an out-of-body experience, you go inside your consciousness. And the, the whole, the whole deal is it's all inside you. So when you're mind reading, you're not, you're not reading the guy's mind over there. You're actually going inside yourself where everything is. And you're just going to the filing cabinet and looking for that material. And, and that's where you get like, for example, when they do remote viewing, so they, they do the remote viewing and they say, okay, the target number is seven, three, four, six, four, three. And the guy says, Oh, okay. We're over water. He's instantly at the target. So is he, is his mind flying across the earth? How does it find it? Or is it just going inside? And that's what I think is all going to end up being is it's all it, it, uh, like the Maya thing, the Indian, the Hindu concept. It's all dream. It's all Maya. It's all illusion. And, and consciousness creates matter. 
consciousness starts to vibrate. And when the consciousness starts to vibrate, the matter starts to form. And we're a, lo we're a, a lower form of consciousness. It's a denser form. They're a less form. That's why they can't stay here. People will talk about the, the being vibrating. It's so heavily vibrating. They can't, they can't really take it. People will describe their body vibrating before they, before they uh, get abducted. I've had that with when I did the psilocybin. The, the, the whole deal that my body would vibrate. I knew exactly what was happening. My body would start to vibrate, and you're moving into a different frequency. Oh, I know what that's like. Trust me. <laughs> I, I, you know, it, it doesn't matter whether I'm in a dream state or not, Grant. When I, when I go, I feel this, what I call a gravitational pull. You know, like yeah. my body is being pulled back, and even and as much as I tell them, look, I don't want to go today, doesn't matter. They've got that gravity stuck on me. Yeah. You know, and, and then you wonder, well, where, where are people going or how is it happening? Because, you know, you never see people getting abducted. There's, there's no reports of, oh, I saw a UFO over this guy's house and he got abducted or whatever. And, and you start because people were arguing with me about the abduction thing. And I say, yeah, abductions happen. There, there is an event. But what is actually going on? What is the real event going on? Because people will come back from near-death experiences and from out-of-body experiences. And they'll say it was as real as the real world. There's time and space in your dream. Is there actually time and space in your dream? No, it's a dream. You say, no, there's not time and space, but there was time and space. There's time and space here, but this may be a dream because people who have the near-death experience will come back and say, you're living in the dream. I was in the real world. It was more vivid. It was it was more real than the real world. And that's what we've got to realize that, that, that pe these people who are having these anomalous experiences, if you listen to them, they'll start to give you hints as to how the world may actually work because if it worked the way we claimed it worked, we, this stuff wouldn't be happening. None of this stuff would be happening. We've got something wrong. We've got to figure out what have we got. It's like 1492. The, the earth looks flat. It looks like the sun's going around the earth. It looks like there's only 5,000 stars. It looks like we're at the center of the universe. But that's that, That's the whole deal. Is it, it appeared that way, and we're doing the same thing now. We're saying it, it disappears, disappears. We're just doing what, what's called naive reality. We believe what we see, and we've got to realize what we see may not be really what we're actually seeing because it's going into your brain, and then it's coming out. So everything is subjective. It's going in, and you're, there, there, there is no color. There is none of that kind of stuff. It's all formed inside your mind. Everything is inside your head. So are the aliens then inside our head as we got about 90 seconds? Well, every, everything there, there is, there is nothing. So we're all one. That's if you get, uh, like Sting with, uh, when he did the ayahuasca, he said, I suddenly realized everything was alive, conscious and one. Everything is connected. It's all one thing. And that's the whole thing. If time and space are things we make up, if there's no time and space, how big is the universe? It's all one thing. It's all, it's all just a thing. We're dividing it and we have to divide it in order to get a movie. So the, the divine is looking at the movie and unless it's like a roller coaster going up and down and round and round, that everybody's going to get up and walk out. So you have this negative positive thing and this movie's going on and, and people are having these experiences and that's the whole deal. It's, it's not a, a common thing. So yeah, it's all one thing. We are, it's, it's like, so when you do something to a, a, a fellow brother it's like you're cutting off your own arm you hear this all the time in the in this world that whatever you do to someone else or jesus even said you know what you've done unto the least of these my brothers you've done unto me this oneness principle that it's all one thing that we are all together we are all one and when we realize that we'll stop killing people and stealing stuff and the world will go sane in and get away from the insanity that's going on right now, which is the belief in separation. That's the main problem. There's only one problem in the world, according to me. It is the mistaken belief in separation. If you correct that, everything corrects itself. 
We just believe that we're separate from everything around us, and therefore we can take what we want, do what we want, and we have uh, you know freedom and all this kind of stuff. But it's all one thing. We got Grant Cramer until the top of the hour talking everything UFOs. What's going on in the world right now? We continue with the legend, Grant Cameron. When we return, we get into the Clinton files and so much more. Space Out Radio. We'll be right back. All right, Grant, we got five minutes. Okay. Good. <clears throat> Fun times, man. Start meditating. Yeah. It's good. Good. Stu Gerson, how you doing, man? All right. I'm having a lot of fun tonight. Are you guys? I'm having a lot of fun. <clears throat> Shout out to our Spreaker chat room. It's lonely over there, but Ronnie's over there. Sandra's over there. Bill WD-40, he'll loop up the show for you. All right. TMI, thank you very much. Scowling Greg O'Brien, I know you're having a blast. He rates this show four and a half out of five scowls. All the world's a stage. How you doing? Mike Bothwell, thank you again for another wonderful super chat. That's times two for you. And thank you to Lori, Thomas, Marty, Big Dog, Pam, D. Cohen, Pascal, and D. Show as well. Michael Fontaine, how you doing? Direct auto insurance is for uncompromisers, the people who refuse to make trade-offs in life. They're the ones who proudly say no to living on someone else's terms and schedule. And when it comes to insurance, they find the savings they need to keep driving. And with savings of up to $1,044 per year when you switch to direct auto, you too can stop compromising and keep driving. Get a free quote today at directauto.com or find a store near you. Data from August 2021, new customer survey. Savings of any vary. How you buy can affect price. National General Group, Winston-Salem. Hey there, I'm David Novak. I ran Taco Bell, KFC, and Pizza Hut. And like you, I'm always learning so I can be the best leader I can be. That's why I started How Leaders Lead, the first leader-to-leader podcast with CEOs from Adobe, Pepsi, and Home Depot, and greats like Tom Brady, Jim Nance, and Jack Nicklaus. You'll learn how to win, how to bounce back, and how to lead. Listen to this insight from Stanley Druckenmiller, the greatest investor of all time. If you love what you do, First of all, your work ethic is going to be fantastic. You're just going to be better at something if you enjoy it than if you don't enjoy it. And this from Brian Cornell, the CEO of Target. I think you've got to balance short-term with long-term. And you've got to have a conviction that the things you're doing, your investments, your strategy, over time, you're making the right investments and right decisions for your brand and your business. So listen to How Leaders Lead wherever you listen to podcasts. 
It's the best podcast on leadership you'll ever listen to. Invisible Tracker, I said hello to you when you first came in. It was in the chat room. I don't know, Jenny. I don't want to talk about it because I don't want to start it. Kurt M, how you doing? Uh, I'll ask Grant. Grant, uh, question for you while we're off the air. This is from Kurt. He says, where did Grant get that green screen? It's from a house in Winston, Oregon. My friend Gary bought it, and I helped him move into it. The piano. It took six months, and they pulled me out of music lessons. They said, this guy's hopeless. Uh, I got to change the background, though. I I, I got to get something different. Miriam Nunn, welcome to SOR Chat. Thank you for joining us. If you're new here, guys, don't forget to hit subscribe and ring that bell. We got 289 people watching on YouTube and only 129 thumbs up. I don't know how many thumbs down they don't show us anymore. I'm sure there's about five or six, as there always is. But uh, we'd appreciate the love and support. It really helps with our algorithms on YouTube. So if you could give us a, a smashing uh, thumbs up or down and uh, don't forget to hit that subscribe button as well. If you're new here, we would greatly appreciate that. We are less than, well, we're just over 1100 right now, about 1111 to be honest, away from 20,000 subscribers. It's kind of cool. Kind of cool to think. Let's see where we're at. Uh, we are at eighteen eight ninety six. So we're literally eleven hundred and four away. Wow. We could hit it by Christmas. Totally hit it by Christmas. That was my goal by Christmas. Twenty thousand. <clears throat> Merry Christmas. Not like Grant here, who, you know, just millions upon millions of YouTube fans. <laughs> I do I do most of my stuff on uh, uh, Nicole's channel now. I, I know. I figure we'll, we'll try to move her up there so she can take over. People, we need some young people to take over after we're gone, Dave. I know. I know. And, uh, you know... Um, I still got a little bit of time. You still got a little bit of time. Yeah. So we're all good there for at least. Because that's, that's, that was another expression Max Planck had. He said, uh, new ideas do not advance by convincing your opponent that you're right. They hold, advance hold on, Grant. one funeral.
We pass the halfway point of Spaced Out Radio tonight. Good to have you with us. My name is Dave Scott. I want to remind you that if you missed more portions of this show or others, check out our free archives at youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram of Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. For the final time tonight, we have Grant Cameron here as we are chowing on down on the Oak Shannon documents, the Wilson documents, any other documents. And the Clinton files, Grant, you recently had a peek at those as we get a, a little bit of an insight of what the Clinton's interest in UFOs was as well. Welcome back, Grant. Well, thanks. Um, a couple of interesting points there. I, I haven't read them, the same as the Wilson document. I, what I did is I'm kind of a collector guy. I like to, you know, if I hear there are files, for example, you know, I heard that Goldwater had an archives and I knew he had done a lot of writing to UFO people and stuff like that. So I went to Phoenix and I went in and I grabbed all the Goldwater files. And so when I, when, uh, what happens with the president, and this is, again, goes to what's going on in, in Mar-a-Lago. The, the, what happens is that the, um, the president has five years to do whatever he wants with the documents to, you know, get copies and write books and do whatever. And then at the end of five years, you have a situation where you could file, uh, Freedom of Information Act, and it's first come, first serve. So this uh, last this year, when Obama uh, came due, I was ready. It was uh, J- January the 20th. I was going to file it uh, one minute after 12, and I had all my questions about uh, Obama and all the, the people that I believed were involved and stuff like that. And then I forgot. It was like 11 o'clock at night. I go, oh, no, I forgot to file the FOI. And I went and filed, and I was like way down the list. But I'm ahead of John Greenwald. He's way down the list because he filed way after that. Uh, but what happened with the Clintons was um, I filed – and I got, um, uh, of the first 18 FOIs that were filed with the Clintons, 11 of them were mine. <laughs> and they were all, like, UFO-related. And, uh, like, one was uh, Bill Clinton wanted um, uh, the Sci-Fi Channel put into Camp David and had to go in that day. It was like, I guess he had discovered something was on Sci-Fi on Friday night or whatever. And the demand and these guys, it was this whole thing about him demanding that Sci-Fi go in. And and so uh, there was uh, uh, these documents. And what happened was because there were so many, um, Fox News picked it up, Associated Press picked it up, Washington Post picked it up. And I was getting phone calls from all over the place. It was kind of weird. Like I was at the university and the, the head office was saying, oh, the, Grant, there's another phone call for you. They're phoning. The, they didn't know where to go. So they were going in and they were going in and I was getting these phone calls and stuff. And I was talking to Washington Post twice and they, they actually didn't really do an article after I talked to them, but they wanted to know why, why is there so many UFO stuff? And I said, well, the Clintons were into UFOs and um, I, I knew who was involved and I just filed and it was first come first serve. Cause I know there was some lawyers out of Washington DC who decided that this was stupid. Like what's with the stupid UFOs? We want Hillary's phone records. And they had filed, they had sued the Clinton archives. So when I went to the Clinton archives, they knew who I was. They I was like, Oh, the cow is. And I was introduced to all these people in the Clinton library. And it was so great because I was the guy that, that, that was, uh, 
sort of opening this thing up and, and uh, these guys were suing about the UFO thing. And uh, so I wrote them back. I wrote these high level lawyers, a big group of lawyers. And I said, who the hell do you think you guys are? I said, this is first come, first serve. If the Hillary Clinton phone records are so important, you would have filed on time. I said, get the, you know what? And I used a pretty ugly term and get back in line with the rest of us. And, and so I never heard from these guys, but that that's was the whole deal. So I went down there to look because what had happened is when Clinton was in office, there's two offices that are under FOIA. One is the Office of Science and Technology Policy, which is the Office of the Science Director to the Advisor to the President. So that was where the Rockefeller Initiative had to take, take place. They didn't want Rockefeller dealing with the president, so it had gone through the, the science advisor. And I had filed an FOI. I heard Bruce McAbee had filed. I heard that this guy in Maine had filed. The guy in Maine got 250 pages. Bruce McAbee got 500 pages. So I'm going to get 500 pages that Bruce McAbee got. So I filed. I got 1,000 pages, over 1,000 pages. And there was about six documents missing. And I filed an appeal. And then they gave me more documents. I had all these documents. And um, so I had all the names of all the people that were involved and, and all this kind of stuff. And I actually had the two Hillary documents that I had discovered that Hillary was actually playing post office. So anything that went from Rockefeller to the science advisor, anything from the science advisor going to Rockefeller went through the first lady's office, all this correspondence. I couldn't figure out why was it going to the first lady's office. And the other thing I discovered was that Rockefeller had this document that he had that was on UFO disclosure. And every time the president wouldn't do what he wanted him to do, he'd say, okay, I think it's time to go to the president. Uh, I'm tired of playing around with you guys here. I, I'm going to send a letter to the president. I said, no, no, what do you want? Mr. Rockefeller, don't send the letter to the president. We'll help you. And they, and they would do whatever he wanted. And that's when they said, Mr. Rockefeller, it, it's, it's so complex. You say it's so complex and it's so deep and it's so uh, tightly held. There's no way we can we can get all this stuff that you're demanding. Give us one case. We'll do one case and, and then we'll declassify that and we'll go after the rest. And that's when Rockefeller said, okay, I want you to go after Roswell. And that's why the U.S. Air Force in the 1990s had to redo Roswell. They didn't want to do Roswell. They did it because they got an order out of the White House. They had to reinvestigate Roswell. And so I had the, all this stuff. And and the reason they'd gone through Hillary's office is that the president, they play plausible deniability. You don't want the president being involved. You don't want him, people knowing that he's doing UFO stuff because then he starts getting questions. He, he wanted to say the president doesn't know. He's an idiot. He doesn't he doesn't follow it. He, you know, there's no UFOs and stuff. And so that's why they would go through the Hillary's office. So Hillary knew what was going on. And then she'd go to the bill in the, in the evening. And she'd say, okay, Rockefeller wants this. Rockefeller wrote this letter. And then Bill would say, okay, do this. And then they would pass this through and there was no paper record on it so that that was so when i filed this stuff i went down to the 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 archives and uh the way the archives works for anybody who's doing our research don't read anything there, there's no way you don't have time to read anything because you have thousands of pages so what you do is you take a camera and you sit there and you go click turn the page click turn the page and and they have a very strict security like this idea you cannot take documents home they don't let you stick documents in your wallet and take you know you you find you know something interesting on ufos you can take it home no you can't take anything you can make copies of it so i'm taking photographs so i'm madly photographing and they got i'm the only person in the archives room for the whole time i was there i was there for about three days photographing and uh, they had someone had to sit in front and watch me because you're not allowed to steal documents. So this person, and actually fell asleep. So I take a picture of this guy sleeping, and I'm looking at it, but I'm, I'm going as fast as I can, and I'm, I'm filming all this stuff. So I never read it. So uh, as you know, Isaac 
Coy has uh, has helped to put all the stuff online, and he's now just put the Clinton all the Clinton stuff. So you may go there and look at this stuff. He's filed it, put it in PDFs and stuff like that. I don't know what's there, but you may find something pretty interesting there. I did that one, and I'm also going to give him the entire um, collection from. Uh, uh, this Wilbur Smith from the Canadian government from the 1950s, which is thousands of pages as well. I provided that to, to Bob McGuire when they were questioning. I provided him all those all those files from, from the Canadian. And the other one I have is uh, Arthur Bray, who was a, a researcher out of Ottawa. I have his files. So those are all going to be put on with uh, uh, Isaac Coy's site where they're putting on all these documents. And you can go there and read about the Canadian government and what they were doing and what Wilbur Smith was doing and, and see the pieces that he had and all this kind of stuff. And that's where the, the, the documents come from. So I'm, I'm trying to get this stuff out. I'm trying to uh, make as much pub public as possible, uh, you know, so that people can read it because people aren't going to go to an archives the way I did. I, I like that kind of stuff of going and, and pretend, you know, the only person that's ever touched this document is like Barry Goldwater and the archivist. And nobody knows. And you're looking for the, the document. For example, um, there's this, you know, one of the big documents in the Oak Shannon uh, file or in his notes was a page on back engineering. So they, every morning they would have a subject. So you have these subjects, different pages, different subject, and it would have nothing or a couple pages or whatever on mutilations and uh, sightings and what are we going to do and where's the money coming from and all this kind of stuff. And there was one page on back engineering. And all it had was one thing, Bobby Ray Inman. And when I saw that, I knew Bobby Raymond has always been rumored to be the MJ-12 guy, the guy that's running the back engineering project stuff. Bob, Bob McGuire told me today he worked for him. So if you get him on, get him to talk about Bobby Raymond. So um, that, that was the, the, the one thing that, that, that stood out on that page. And um, we, we had uh, done work on that in terms of getting documents and I one of the documents that I did recover at the Goldwater file was Stephen Greer made this claim and a lot of stuff that Stephen Greer has said has turned out to be true uh, the fact that he briefed uh, Wosley the fact that he briefed the defense intelligence guy that he briefed uh, the head of intelligence joint chiefs of staff and the other thing he said he went to Goldwater and then Goldwater said well Mr. Dr. Greer he says I'd like to know uh, who's running this show and he said Bobby Rainman's running it and he said really He's my friend. I'll phone him up. So the daughter told Stephen Greer that there, her, she said her father phoned uh, Bobby Raymond. She said she had never seen her father so rattled in his life. And he never discussed UFOs ever again after that Bobby Raymond. So people said, ah, nah, that never happened or whatever. And I actually found a, 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 a letter in the Goldwater files that confirmed that he actually phoned Bobby Raymond. So you get this kind wow. of stuff. And the, the, you get the backup that Bobby Raymond. So a lot of people will be chasing down Bobby Raymond uh, leads. And I think that there's enough good people in the UFO community that they'll uncover some of these leads and open up more stuff. And because uh, we're, we're where we are now, people don't realize in 1985, we didn't know anything. We had no clue. It was like Blue Book said there was nothing going on. There was none now. It was all the names. You have, you know, the the, the, the trail of uh, the companies that are probably back engineering, the people that are working, the people that know what's going on, like like put off in Davis and stuff like that. We didn't know any of that stuff back in the 1980s and 1970s. It's a different world. It's a world where we are on the simply on the verge of discovery of disclosure and uh, uh, sit back and it's just not going to be what people think it is. That's where I say it's going to be a lot more consciousness based than people think it is. Or I, I say it's going to be a lot less uh, 
physical than people think it is. It's going to be a lot more spiritual than people think it is, which is really going to annoy some people. Uh, it's going to be t- a thousand times more complex than you think, and it won't have a hint of capitalism. That's what I, I say is going to be the bottom line. And the consciousness thing is what people are so far away from. They're so removed from this idea of consciousness and how it works. And yet you get uh, when uh, um, Tom DeLong went to the skiff at, at Lockheed Skunk Works and was inside the, the secure skiff there and was talking to the head scientist. His head scientist said to him, so how does this work? How do they get here? How does this thing work? And he was working at the time. Uh, 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 Tom DeLong was working with uh, Stephen Greer, and Stephen Greer knew about the consciousness connection. He said, oh, I think consciousness is involved. And then the head scientist said, now you're talking. And he said, that's all the guy wanted to talk about for, for 45 minutes. And that's why when you see the Wilson notes, at the end of the Wilson notes, it says two things that I've always sort of argued with people. It says no abductions. And that's why I say there's there's an abduction event. But is it what people think it is? Is it the physical event people think it is? And the second thing it said, we have a craft and we think it'll fly. And when I saw that, I said, hallelujah. That's exactly because the thing is they've got a craft. It's intact. They've got totally, totally intact craft and they cannot make it work because you need a consciousness interface. I've got a book coming out called the, uh, the UFO Sky Pilots. I've got three dozen people who claim they've flown the craft and they all say exactly the same thing. You go into the craft, as Chris Bledsoe said, there's a pillar. You put your hand on the pillar and suddenly it starts to lights start to change and you take your hand off and you can see your handprint on there and he says everything starts to move you become one with the craft the craft is alive you become one with the craft and whatever you think is what the craft does and as ron johnson told me they said where would you like to go ron and he said i'd like to see the milky way from a distance and they said it'll take one second he sat back in the chair and he says one second the screen opened up and there was the milky way off in the distance so that's 50 to 70,000 or 100,000 light years in one second. That is that is not what people think. And we've got this technology. There's no way we have it. Or people that will describe the, the craft, that it'll go wherever you want as fast as you want. And the other thing that people will describe is that when, and it's, this is in the, this is actually in the Okshan notes. This is described 1985. And uh, I'm starting to bring it up now as part of this flying the craft is that when people go in the craft, they say on the outside is 30 feet across. And when they go inside, it's as big as a baseball stadium or a football stadium. And the craft, the beings can make the inside as big as they want. And the first woman that told me she had flown the craft told me that they have crafts that there are the size of the solar system. Wow. But it may be only as small as a rock. And you, so you, next time you walk past a rock on a, on a hill or something, you see the rock. There may be a civilization living inside that rock. It, you don't need any space in terms of the way the UFO seems to work that the inside is, 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 is so big. And yet the outside can be as, as small as like a ball, like a, an orb moving around. So an orb flying around may have like, uh, piles of people inside this orb because inside is a completely different thing. And that's what Hal Putoff said. That's one of the mysteries that he said that he would like to discover is how can the craft be bigger on the inside than the outside? Grant, we've got you for eight more minutes. I, I, I do want to quickly touch on, until the final hour, 
uh, when we're yeah. done about what's happening in the Canadian side of everything. You're Canadian. I'm Canadian. We know there yeah. was talks that were broken off about a month and a half ago for absolutely no reason. We know that uh, there's certain things happening behind the scenes uh, revolving science versus the threat narrative. Yeah. Well, you're the guy that started it, so I give you all credit. You're the guy that started this thing and tried to make some move to get uh, the people in Parliament to do something. Like, uh, why is the United States ha- rolling along and we're not doing anything? And uh, Larry McGuire came forward and um, d- described his interest in UFOs and did a, a lot of interviews. And that was sort of started it. And then um, I-, I got involved, and that was when we set up the panel and um, that fell apart basically because the Americans just could not understand how the American, the Canadian system worked. And it was like, we're not going to tell you what to do, but until you do what we tell you to do, we're not going to help you. And that was the attitude that sort of came across to me. And it all sort of fell apart. And what I've heard now, I mean, you're trying another initiative, which hopefully it'll work because it's a good idea. And it basically fits in that there are a number of parliamentary people, maybe as many as 10 who are very interested and who are being briefed in the background by MPs who are interested and they are sharing material in the background and they are being briefed and brought up to speed as to what the who the people are and what they need to know and people who are interested who are ready to come forward. It's the same thing. If they get some cover, they'll come forward and they'll all come forward and then there's going to be a sign. The, the Canadians want to do a scientific investigation. So you're trying to do another initiative and then I've heard that some of these people, I've heard five names that they may actually bring it up in committees in the committees there they're going to they're going to demand answers from the 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 uh the uh liberals in the committees to do something or they're going to go to the floor that's what i said they got to do somebody's got to stand up on the floor of the house of commons and say what are you doing on ufo's can we get an investigation and until that happens the you know, or, or unless there's a, a panel like you're putting together or that I was trying to put together, unless something like that happens, but that would have been viral. If there had been this panel and people realized that there was actually 10 MPs who were into this thing and th- that they were asking questions of all these experts, I mean, you would have had the same sort of explosion that we had in the last couple of days because people in Canada would just go like... When was the last time you totally logged off and took all of your vacation days? Well, Michelob Ultra Pure Gold can help with a little PTO. That's paid time outdoors. Pure Gold has a PTO experience that will help you get away from every ping. Go to MichelobUltra.com slash PTO to request your PTO for a chance to win a trip for four to an amazing remote destination. Enjoy responsibly. No purchase necessary. Open to U.S. residents 21 plus void or prohibited. Enter by 10-14-22. For official rules, visit MichelobUltra.com slash contest dash rules. Direct auto insurance is for uncompromisers, the people who refuse to make trade-offs in life. Like Kelly, when her old car insurance got so expensive that she couldn't afford to drive anymore, do you think she started carrying her groceries for miles? No, but she did find Direct Auto's savings that allowed her to drive instead of compromise. With savings of up to 25%, you too can stop compromising and keep driving. Get a quote today at directauto.com. Savings based on applied discounts and will vary. Terms apply. How you buy can affect price. National General Group, Winston-Salem. What? And everybody around the world, it would have been a major story to realize that there are a lot of people in the Canadian Parliament who are interested in this subject, and they just want some cover to come out and, and be public about it. Two quick questions. Number one, in regards to those talks, why do you think the Canadian government has zero interest in the threat narrative that seems to be coming out of the United States? 
Well, I think that's basically Bob McGuire. Bob McGuire wanted a, the science. This, there's a there's a new science advisor to the prime minister, and for uh, whatever reason, Larry, Bob, McGuire. Uh, Larry McGuire wanted um, it to go through that science person to write a report. And um, uh, the thing was, they were telling us like this thing about your committees. You you get your defense committees to appropriate money, and then uh, Drew was telling him, "Well, we don't. Our committees can't. We don't can't spend any money. We don't have. We don't control anything." And they, they just didn't understand that. And they were they had the idea, and we even said like, "We don't have any military people." That's what they wanted us to do: is get the military people and say these military people, and it's in our airspace, and these military people are being buzzed by UFOs and stuff. And he said, "Well, it's not happening. We don't have any. Maybe it's happening, but we don't have any cases. And until we have some cases, we can't use that route. We can't." can't go that route we don't have we can't make up stories and and stuff we all all we have is you know basic cases but we do have a bunch of uh and people who are interested and the idea was that these people are interested and they they, they're just going to ask questions but the people that we were dealing with that that broke it down for us that gave that walked away said well we're not going to answer questions that people can look up on google and I said, well, that's totally stupid. It's like, uh, because, because you get some little kid ask you a stupid UFO question, what are you going to tell them? Like, you know, take a hike. Or if people don't know, you expect stupid questions. That's the whole deal. People don't know they're asking questions. So an MP is going to ask a stupid question. And they said, we're not going to, we're not going to turn this into a spectacle. We're not going to publicize this thing all over the place and turn it into a, uh, a YouTube spectacle where people are a- answering questions where that they could look up on Google. But the whole thing was to make it a spectacle to show that there are these 10 MPs who are interested enough to ask questions of high level government people in the United States and, and go from there. And what didn't make sense. Grant. I mean, even in the open hearings that were in Washington State, we had a 99-year-old senator asking about swamp gas. Yeah, sure, I mean, exactly. I mean, don't talk yeah. to us about stupid questions. Yeah, yeah. Right. And you saw that there was an interview. I think I sent you the interview where the two people who were negotiating with actually were in a in a in an interview, and they actually got upset with questions from the audience, and they said, "We're we're not going to do any more interviews. We're tired of these stupid questions." But if you get into the UFO game, you got to realize that not everybody knows anything. Like today, I mean, this stuff is new stuff. People don't know. People aren't educated, and that's our job. To whom much the Bible says, "Too much is given, much is expected." So if you and I have the answers, the onus is on us to share what we have, not to keep it to ourselves is to get it out to other people so that we can raise consciousness and try to save people from these wars and the separation and all the stuff that's going on. I mean, if, if we believe this is important, it, the onus is on us to share it. Two minutes. One final question. We know the Liberal Party has been read in. We know Justin Trudeau has been read in back yeah. in 2019 from former Ambassador David McNaughton. We know former Defense Minister Harjit Sajid has been read in. Recently, yeah. the Transport Minister yeah. came out and said, we need to be preparing for questions about UFOs on the floor of the House of Commons. Is this now an inevitable topic coming to the House of Commons, which is where the main debates happen on the in Parliament in Canada for our American listeners who may not understand. Is, is this inevitable now? That's what I hear. That's I was told, stand by. There's the five names, and you know who the names, you mentioned these names, uh, that, that, that were mentioned to me, and they said they were talking about a question on the floor of the House of Commons. And that's what you got to do. you gotta, you got to uh, push the issue 
Uh, you got to stand out and uh, it may you may look stupid for a couple of minutes, but you go down a history as the person who actually got the ball rolling. And that's what you, what you need. Everybody's sort of scared to, to talk about it or to be the person. And um, uh, uh, McGuire would be the perfect guy because he's already the UFO guy. I mean, and he said nobody laughed at him. When he brought it up to the people in the Conservative Party, nobody nobody scoffed at him. Nobody laughed. In fact, he had people who were helping him do stuff. So that I think that's what it's, it's going to come down to. And that's what I said uh, was one of the options. There's the option of doing the panel or it's the option of somebody standing up on the floor of the House of Commons. But everybody's embarrassed. Everybody doesn't want to be the UFO guy, uh, you know, to break ranks or whatever. But we, now you have this very powerful uh, vocal conservative leader who would just love to ask a question like that, you know, just get under Trudeau's skin and demand something. And when it becomes public like that, then everybody takes notice and says, you know, what's going to happen and how do they answer the question? And they, they may actually say, well, we'll, we'll take a look at it. And the ball starts to roll. And then the, the people who have the stories in Canada can come forward. And if we get immunity, we can have our own hearings and announce what's happening in Canada because these people have no, they need cover the same as the MPs need cover. The people who have, are the military people who have had experiences or the high level people who have had experiences need cover as well. And the parliamentary people will provide cover for the witnesses. Grant Cameron, thank you for coming on Spaced Out Radio tonight. You are a true legend, mentor. Keep up the fantastic work, and we'll be in touch with you soon regarding Oak Shannon and whatever else comes up. Yep. Follow Grant Cameron on YouTube as well as Nicole Sackage. We put the links in our chat room here. Coming up next, we're going to head to the swamp. Then Super Duke brings us the Cryptid Report. Spaced Out Radio's hour number three comes at you next. Stay tuned. Hot damn, I love Grant Cameron. (sighs) Fab 22, Alexander the Gray. Benji, how you doing? Good to have you all here. Dennis Banky, nice to see you. I'm going to take a quick break here, guys. I'll be right back. But uh, I think we had uh, an overload of information tonight, and that was great freaking radio. We'll be right back.
Alright. I am back. And uh, I'm telling you. What a treat for a show tonight. Big treat. Our max in chat is 455. <clears throat> Lou Elizondo holds that title. He holds the first two. Grant Cameron owns number three. <clears throat> Hi, Mystics Walk. How you doing? You know, this is why uh, I've been fortunate to befriend Grant Cameron, and he's been an idol and a mentor of mine for a number of years. And Grant is just a wealth of knowledge, and Nicole Sackich is doing such an amazing job in picking up uh, and helping Grant, you know, as we move the ball forward. And hi, Mr. Lurks a lot. How you doing? And I think one day when Grant finally decides to retire from all of this, you know, we have to watch Nicole. Thank you, Barf, Monica, Joan, Mike Times 2, Lori, Thomas, Mike again, um, Marty, Big Dog, Pam, D. Cohen, Pascal, and D. Joe for the super chats. Thank you for all the thumbs up. Where Swamp Dweller is up next. Would you like to connect with us? Head to spacedoutradio.com for all your latest show info. Now, back to Dave Scott and SOR. Here we go with the third and final hour of Spaced Out Radio tonight. My name is Dave Scott. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. We really do appreciate earning your listening ears wherever you are on this beautiful planet we call Earth. Hello to everyone listening in on our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on Odyssey Radio, TalkStream Live, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. The Desert Clam has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club, Idiophone. Idiophone is your password. Use it wisely, space travelers, as the clam sets the password each and every night right here on Spaced Out Radio. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. It is time once again where we head to the swamp. Our resident swamp dweller takes us on another spooky journey. Hi, Spaced Out Radio listeners. This is Swamp Dweller. It's time for your nightly dose of spookiness on the show. If you have an interesting encounter or a spooky story that you would like to share, be sure to submit them in at swampdweller.net. You can also find our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash swampdwellerreads. Now, let's chill out, relax, and together, let's enter the swamp. Hello, Swamp Dweller. I love listening to the many stories people share on your show, which reminds me of a couple of stories I have myself. This one might not be super scary, but it is very creepy in my opinion. When I was younger, I worked in a little town outside of Branson, Missouri, called Branson West, at a subway in a small local Walmart. Now next to that Walmart 
there was overgrown woods across the street. I had always seen the top of what looked to be like some sort of abandoned building over there. Now, I've always been adventurous, and on one of my days off, I grabbed my boyfriend and one of his friends and decided to explore. My boyfriend always carried a knife, and I brought a backpack of snacks, water, and a little first aid kit because I'm prepared. We trekked through this little patch of woods until we came up to a tall and weathered theater that had looked to be abandoned for quite some time. I did a little bit of research and apparently it was a part of the local theme park that didn't seem to draw many people, so it was thus shut down. Now, it wasn't very creepy, but it was beautiful. The old seats surrounded an empty concrete theater that was covered in leaves and old fallen branches. Being young adults, we ran around, played hide and seek, and just chatted for a couple of hours until I noticed something odd. On top of the hill, opposite the array of seats, was what looked like an old worn down shack. I hadn't seen it before, and it was all covered in leaves and hard to even notice. Brush had begun growing around it, obscuring it from view. I rallied the little group I had and we decided to check it out. As we climbed the hill to the shack, I realized that some of the leaves had been disturbed and some brush had been pushed down and it looked rather recent. I didn't think much of it because I assumed it was likely animals or something of that sort. My boyfriend looked around in the brush with his friend and I decided I wanted to take a peek inside. I gently pushed open the door to the little shed and became instantly uncomfortable. Inside, there was old trash and food tins tossed around, and in the corner was an old weathered sleeping bag. It all seemed fairly recent, but what really got me spooked was an old machete sitting on the floor next to the sleeping bag covered in old brown substance. I wheeled around towards my boyfriend and his buddy and shakily called them over. Seeing my pale face, my boyfriend came over quickly and looked inside. After seeing what I had, he had grabbed my arm and told us we were leaving. I agreed and we walked quickly back over to the theater so I could get my bag. My boyfriend was pushing us to hurry and I decided I didn't want to be there any longer after seeing the knife. As I threw my backpack over my shoulder, I glanced back at the shack and what I saw made me shake. Beside the hut stood a tall, tall person. Judging by his size, a man in a long sleeve shirt and his jeans covered with dirt and filth, he had a scraggly beard and unkept long hair, he must have not meant good business. The other two must have seen me staring because they turned and looked up at the shack and saw the man as well. My boyfriend grabbed my arm and all I heard him was repeating, We've got to go. We've got to go. We quickly turned around and ran back towards the Walmart and my car. We didn't stop until we reached the car and climbed in. I don't know if the guy had followed us or how long he had been there watching us frolic among the abandoned theater, but it's something I still shiver at, something I won't easily forget. Thank you for reading my story, and all who want to explore, just remember to be safe. And we say thank you to our resident swamp dweller for another weird, spooky story that he brings us each Monday through Friday night to kick off hour number three of the show. Gosh. He just freaks me out sometimes, Swamp Dweller does. You can go listen to thousands of stories just like that one for free. Go to youtube.com forward slash Swamp Dweller Radio. Make that Swamp Dweller Reads, Swamp Dweller Reads, and it's right there. Just hit subscribe and enjoy the spookiness. All right, it's time once again where we bring in the man, the myth, and the cryptid legend himself, Super Duke from World Bigfoot Radio brings us the Cryptid Report. Right. 
love calling this segment Duked Out Radio. As Super Duke <coughs> comes on in and loving the new look into the studio there, Super Duke. I'm still working on it here. I got to get the lighting uh, dialed in a little bit better. It works really good for when there's daylight, but this time of the night, there's too much reflection. So, eh, I'll get it. I'll get it uh, tuned in a little bit more. But yeah, I got my uh, Beware Bigfoot area, and I've got. Uh, Let's see, the uh, poster back there is a Bigfoot at Mount St. Helens at uh, my house band, Swamp Ritual, that does music for my show, Grab, when they were touring around out there by Mount St. Helens. And they said, hey, Duke would like this, and they grabbed it for me. So it's, like, really cool. That is awesome. Duke, we've had a, a big UFO night tonight with Grant Cameron coming on, and I know you were listening to it in the background. But I, I'm curious, my friend, do you get a lot of reports of UFOs and Sasquatch interacting? There's some reports of uh, UFO activity in the same areas that uh, Bigfoot activity is going on. I wouldn't say it's common at all. The majority of the time when there's Bigfoot activity, there really isn't any UFO activity. And, uh, you know, I was having a great time listening to Grant tonight. That was very interesting. It's great to see that the ball's getting moved downfield on the ufology front, even if they're not going to do anything with cryptids. <coughs> hey, one at a time, man. One at a time. Let's just get the ball rolling. That's the main yeah. thing. Well, the point I'm making here is you don't have to look up in the sky to find these guys. They leave tracks on the ground, for God's sakes. Come on. Let's grab the easy one first. I know you're a little biased over that. Just a tad bias. But that that is wonderful. Any uh, new reports coming out? Uh, there hasn't been a whole lot um, that I can report on that's going on right now. There's a bunch of weird things happening behind the scenes that I can't verify 100%. And generally with me, until I hear like three different people that aren't talking to each other tell me the same thing, I tend to go, meh, maybe. And when it gets to the level of three or more, then I start paying attention going, oh, there's uh, really something going on, yeah. Well, this time of the year, there's a lot of, of Bigfoot reports, just people casually seeing them and whatnot because it's getting into the fall season now and they move around a lot in the fall. It seems like they have an established area that they'll pretty much stay in. When was the last time you totally logged off and took all of your vacation days? Well, Michelob Ultra Pure Gold can help with a little PTO. That's paid time outdoors. Pure Gold has a PTO experience that will help you get away from every ping. Go to MichelobUltra.com PTO to request your PTO for a chance to win a trip for four to an amazing remote destination. Enjoy responsibly. No purchase necessary. Open to U.S. residents 21 plus void were prohibited. Enter by 10-14-22. For official rules, visit MichelobUltra.com contest dash rules. During the winter, kind of the same thing during the summer. And then in the spring and the fall, they move around. You can expect lots more uh, Bigfoot crossing a road sightings and you know, something thumped the side of my house kind of stuff going on here in the next few weeks as they're moving around uh, up until hunting season. Then they hunker down again. Yeah. Do you believe that, you know, Sasquatch has an incredible sense of smell to know the smell of gunpowder? I mean, never mind the shots. Shots are obvious from a gun. Right, but maybe I've heard reports of people talking about over the years that they believe Sasquatch has a, an incredible nose, much better than a dog's or or the equivalent of a dog or better, and will you know smell uh, the 
the gunpowder, and, and that's where they know it's time to escape that area. Certainly possible. They seem to. There's some mechanism that they're using to know that people have weapons on them, um, other than just the psychic ones, perhaps. I can give you the example of when I was up at Coloma and uh, Michael had just showed up, and we get phone reception up there. And Robin McRae was in mental communication with the group that were up there watching us. And all of a sudden she called me and she goes, what the hell are you guys doing? And I went, what? And she goes, who's got the gun? What do you mean who's got the gun? They're blowing me up over here telling me that there's somebody over there that has a gun and they're very upset about it. So right away, well, I've got her on the phone. I got both of them standing there talking to each other. I said, okay, which one of you guys has the gun? And they both looked at me like deer in the headlights. And Mike said, well, mine's in the car. And I said, Ashton, how about you? And he pulled his shirt up literally and goes, I'm not strapped. And I went, you got one in the car? Yeah, we'll make sure it stays there. And then Robin goes, okay, they're calming down. So, like, how did they know they had guns? I didn't even know they had guns. They weren't close enough to smell them. My goodness. Just one of those little mysteries that, that makes you scratch your head about Sasquatch. What kind of story do you have for us tonight, Super Duke? Well, assuming we got enough time to cover this, I've got the Ruby Creek incident as recounted by famed cryptozoologist Lauren Coleman, have you ever, author of Mysterious America. Have you ever been to the Ruby Creek area here in BC? No, I've never been that far west. It is um, actually it is incredible. And Highway 7 runs right in front of it. And you have these these big areas for farming right off the Fraser River. The highway runs beside the the river, and then you got miles upon miles of farmyard before boob you just hit hit mountains and forest. It's gorgeous. Uh, there's a good uh, Bigfoot artist. Uh, I got some of his stuff available for merch on my uh, Teespring store, Devin King, and he did a illustration of the original house there before it like fell down or anything. And he did a drawing of how big would the Bigfoot be if it was standing next to the house, right where they described it being. And you can take the, the one and put it next to the actual picture of the house. And it's like, wow. <laughs> okay. That thing was really, really big, man. You know, that's some scary stuff there. So anyway, like I said, uh, Lauren Coleman in his book, Bigfoot, uh, covered this. And a lot of people have covered the Ruby Creek incident. This is a pretty good recounting. Although Bigfoot would not break into public consciousness until 1958, the modern history of this creature is widely thought to have begun with a 1941 encounter labeled by John Green as the Ruby Creek incident because it happened a half mile east of that little settlement in British Columbia. Although only the Chapman family was involved in the encounter, excuse me, the encounter, others in the Ruby Creek area also saw the footprints. Ivan T. Sanderson wrote up the Chapman's story soon after he interviewed them and then published his account in True magazine in 1960. <clears throat> uh, I will let Sanderson retell the story in his own words directly from his first-hand interview in order to do full justice to the Chapman's account. Quote, the modern history of the Sasquatch really dates from September 1941 when one of these creatures paid a visit in broad daylight to an Indian family named Chapman. While the Amerindian stories have usually been dismissed as legend or lapped off because Indians are not supposed to be reliable, 
too much physical evidence to be ignored accompanied this experience. The Chapman family consisted of George and Jeannie Chapman and children numbering at my visit four. Mr. Chapman worked on the railroad and was living at the time in a small place called Ruby Creek, 30 miles up the Fraser River from Agassiz, British Columbia, and Canada's great western province. It was about three in the afternoon of a sunny, cloudless day when Jeannie Chapman's eldest son, then aged nine, came running to the house saying that there was a cow coming down out of the woods at the foot of the nearby mountain. The other kids, a boy aged seven and a little girl of five, were still playing in a field behind the house bordering on the rail track. Mrs. Chapman went out to look since the boy seemed oddly disturbed and they saw what at first she thought was a very big bear moving about among the bushes bordering the field beyond the railroad tracks. She called the two children who came running immediately. Then the creature moved on to the tracks and she saw to her horror it was a gigantic man covered with hair, not fur. The hair seemed to be about four inches long all over and of a pale yellow-brown color. To pin down this color, Mrs. Chapman pointed out to me a sheet of lightly varnished plywood in the room where we were sitting. This was a brown ochre color. The creature advanced directly toward the house, and Mrs. Chapman had, as she put it, much too much time to look at it, because she stood her ground outside while the eldest boy, on her instructions, got a blanket from the house and rounded up the other children. The kids were in a near panic, she told us, and it took two or three minutes to get the blanket during which time the creature had reached the near corner of the field, only about 100 feet away from her. Mrs. Chapman then spread the blanket and holding it aloft so the kids could not see the creature or it them. She backed off on the double to the old field and down onto the river uh, beach out of sight and then ran with the kids downstream to the village. I asked her a leading question about the blanket. Had her purpose in using it been to prevent her kids seeing the creature in accord with the alleged uh, belief that to do so brings bad luck and often death. Her reply was both prompt and surprising. She said that although she had heard white men tell of that belief, she had not heard it from her parents or any other of her people, whose advice regarding the so-called Sasquatch had been simply not to go further than certain points up certain valleys, to run if she saw one, but not to struggle if one caught her, as it might squeeze her to death by mistake. No, she said, I used the blanket because I thought it was after one of the kids, and so it might go into the house to look for them instead of following me. This seems to have been sound logic, as the creature did go into the house and also rummaged through an old outhouse pretty thoroughly, hauling from it a 55-gallon barrel of salted fish, breaking this open and scattering its contents about outside. The irony of it, that all three children did die within three years the two boys by drowning and the little girl of a sickbed. And just after I interviewed the Chapmans, they also were drowned in the Fraser River when a rowboat capsized. Mrs. Chapman told me that the creature was about seven and a half feet tall. She could estimate its height by the various fence and line posts standing about the field. It had a rather small head and a very short, thick neck. In fact, really no neck at all. A point that was emphasized by William Rowan by all the others who claimed to have seen one of these creatures. Its body was entirely human in shape, except that it was immensely thick through its chest, and its arms were exceptionally long. She did not see the feet, which were in the grass. Its shoulders were very wide, and it had no breasts, from which Miss Chapman assumed it was a male, although she did not see any male genitalia due to the long hair covering that area of its body. 
She was most definite on this point. The naked parts of its face and its hands were much darker than its hair, and it appeared to be nearly black in color. George Chapman returned home from his work on the railroad that day shortly before six in the evening, and by a route that bypassed the village, so that he saw no one to tell him what had happened. When he reached his house, he immediately saw the woodshed door battered in, spotted enormous humanoid footprints all over the place. Greatly alarmed, for he, like all of his people, had heard since childhood about the, quote, big wild men of the mountains, unquote, though he did not hear the word Sasquatch till after this incident, he called for his family and then dashed through the house. Then he spotted the foot tracks of his wife and the kids going off towards the river. He followed these until he picked them up on the sand beside excuse me, the river and saw them going off downstream without any giant ones following. Somewhat relieved, he was retracing his steps when he stumbled across the giant's foot tracks on the riverbank farther upstream. These had come down out of the potato patch, which lay between the house and the river, had milled about by the river, and had gone back through the old field toward the foot of the mountain, where they disappeared into heavy growth. Returning to the house, relieved to know that the tracks of all four of his family had gone off downstream to the village, George Chapman went to examine the woodshed. In our interviews after 18 years, he still expressed voluble astonishment that any living thing, even a seven-foot, six-inch man of the barrel chest, could lift a 55-gallon tub of fish and break it open without using a tool. He confirmed the creature's height after finding a number of long brown hairs stuck in the slabwood lintel of the doorway above the level of his head. George Chapman then went off to the village to look for his family and found them in a state of calm collapse. He gathered them up and invited his father-in-law and two others to return with him for protection of his family when he was away at work. The foot tracks returned every night for a week, and on two occasions the dogs that the Chapmans had taken with them set up the most awful racket at exactly 2 o'clock in the morning. The Sasquatch did not, however, molest them or apparently touch either the house or the woodshed, but the whole business was just too unnerving for the family, and they finally moved out. They never went back. After a long chat about this and other matters, Mrs. Chapman suddenly told us something very significant just as we were leaving. She said, It made an awful funny noise. I asked her if she could imitate the noise for me, but it was her husband who did so, saying that he had heard it at night twice during the week after the incident. He then proceeded to utter exactly the same strained gurgling whistle that the men in California who said they had heard a Bigfoot call had given us. This is a sound I cannot reproduce in print, but I can assure you it is unlike anything I've ever heard, given by man or beast, anywhere in the world. To me, this information is of the greatest significance, that an Indian couple in British Columbia should give out with exactly the same strange sound in connection with the Sasquatch that two educated white men over 600 miles away in the south in connection with the California Bigfoot dead is incredible. If this is all hoax or a publicity stunt or a mass hallucination, as some people have claimed, how did it happen that this noise, which defies description, always sounds the same no matter who tries to reproduce it for me? These were probably the last words on the Sasquatch that the Chapmans uttered, and I absolutely refuse to listen to anybody who might say they were lying. Admittedly, honest men are such a rarity as possibly to be non-existent, but I've met a few who could qualify, and I put the Chapmans near the head of the list, says Ivan Sanderson. Wow. That story is so powerful and impactful to me because I know the area. And when you know the area, it really adds to it. I mean, that's a dangerous part of the Fraser River. 
you know, you're, you're coming out of the, out of the Fraser Canyon, you know, uh, maybe 10 miles as the, uh, 15 miles as the crow flies, the currents are absolutely brutal around there. It's a dangerous spot, very dangerous. And to be chased like the Chapman family down to the, along the river, it's very, very eerie knowing that how powerful the mighty Fraser is. Well, yeah, and according to the story there, every member of the family died drowning in the river, you know, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, pretty bad news, apparently. Don't go on the river. I have, uh, I've slipped in that river when I was like 20 years old. And my dad was watching me, laughing at me. Uh, and And I'll tell you, man, the way that current took me, I was... You know, within 30 seconds, I was already 50 feet downriver. That's how yeah. fast that river is. And, man, just eerie. Absolutely eerie, the Ruby Creek area. And then from there, you got Seabird Island and then Agassiz. And it goes from there right to Harrison Hot Springs. Mission, British Columbia. In between De Roche. Super Duke with the World Bigfoot Radio will continue with the cryptid report when we return for the final half hour of Spaced Out Radio. We're clear? <coughs> Yay. I'm freaking exhausted. <laughs> I've gotten four hours of sleep a night uh, ever since the last time I was on your show. So I am just completely beat. What are you doing? Uh, I like a ton of things all at once, trying to get my vehicle fixed, finding a new roommate, completely uh, cleaning up the whole apartment and everything so I could show it to prospective roommates, blah, 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 plus all the Bigfoot stuff I'm always stuck doing. So not getting any sleep. Right. Well, you got to take some time for yourself, Super Duke. <laughs> Yeah, after tomorrow, when I also have to run all day long, then uh, then I can have a day off before I have to make sure I have a show for Sunday. <laughs> yeah, I get one day off this week, so I don't know what kind of Bigfoot we're gonna stuff we're gonna talk about here, Dave. <laughs> I I usually expect at least a an hour long story. <laughs> yeah, sure. It's so easy to come up with. Well, let's just, uh, I'll, I'll figure something out here, buddy. Honest to God, you know, if aliens abducted re- me right now, I'd consider it a rescue mission. That's how bad it's been. Mm-hmm. Let me go get a couple drags off a of SIG here. Yeah, you go. We got a few minutes.
Do, 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 do. Hi, Angela Krause. How are you? Hmm. What a great show. What a great show. Excuse me. <clears throat> Excuse me. Hi, Marlena. How are you? Hey, can we get 200 light or thumbs up tonight? That might be a new record. No, it wouldn't, but it'd be close. We're like six away. If you haven't already, give us a thumbs up if you don't mind. Let's hit 200 for tonight. It'll make me feel good. Make Davey feel good, man. Adarius 7, welcome to SOR Chat. From Hammond, Indiana. Indiana, also the home of DJ Ashba. Also the home of Izzy Stradlin. And also the home of W. Axel Rose. Greatest rock singer ever next to Freddie Mercury. Good state that, Indiana. All right, we got 30 seconds. Big thank you to Big Donk, Pam, D. Cohen, Pascal, D. Joe, Marty, Mike, Thomas, Lori, Mike again, Joanne, or pardon me, Joan, Monica, and Marv. Very much appreciate the love and support through the Super Chats. And if you're new here, don't forget to hit that subscribe button, ring that bell. We'd appreciate it. Thank you for all the thumbs up, guys. We're at 208. That's incredible. Here we go with Super Duke and his Kool-Aid next. Mm-hmm. Rounded third, headed for home tonight on Space Down Radio. Good to have you with us. My name is Dave Scott. Very much appreciate you tuning us in. I want to remind you, if you've missed most of this show or others, check out our free archives by going to youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor. Hit that subscribe button. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out Bumblefoot. Read Shirky Poo's Newswire. Check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio. Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show. And on TikTok 
at Spaced Out Radio. Here we go. Final half hour. We continue on with our good friend Super Duke from World Bigfoot Radio. Duke, welcome back. And I'm glad to be back. Let's bring up something you referenced at the top of the uh, little chat with me. Sure. About aliens and Bigfoot in the same area. Now, you've got that going on. You've got some aliens, and, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, um, for the most part, they don't get along with each other. As a matter of fact, if you're in an area where the um, the Bigfoot and the little aliens are seeming to be, like, working together, leave. <laughs> Because they are not friends with each other. The only ones that would work with them have either been enslaved or, or somehow uh, being coerced into working with them like a fifth column. So, yes, you had aliens in your research area. You were seeing them. And apparently the local cryptids there were giving you the wall of dread to tell you that you needed to get out of there. Because that, that place ain't safe. And it sounds like what's going on there is your little probe-happy saucer jockeys are doing some uh, side jobs mining there and possibly stealing some mineral wealth out of the ground. And as long as they're intruding in that area, it's not safe for you to really be there when they're around. And, uh, you know, as Robin mentioned, they're so impressed with you that one of them had to tell you that she had a new baby and how cute it was. So it's <laughs> they're not, they're not uh, out to get you. They're worried something's going to get you. So... Well, you know, I'll, I'll tell let me you. let me just put it this way, Dave. You got aliens. Oh yeah, Dave's got some aliens. I mean, that's that's uh, very very true. I'm not gonna deny that whatsoever. Old Davey has some aliens. You know, it's just it's just you don't know where them damn aliens are gonna show up. But but the idea behind it is this: you one thing that I don't think a lot of people understand is is you really have to be in touch with your inner self and the feelings that come along with that duke i mean you've been in the forest enough to know that when when that little voice in your head is telling you don't be an idiot don't go down that path or don't go here or don't go there you have to listen to it for your own safety absolutely following your gut instinct will keep you alive a lot more often than just using uh, rational logic because that doesn't always work and i've noticed now that um i have gotten to the point where i'm sensitive enough that i notice you know whether it's just subconscious because of the signs hey all of a sudden everything went dead still and there's no sound derp you know well maybe you're picking up on that or maybe there's some other clues that are letting you know about it um it's it's fairly easy to tell if you're being observed by something that has ill intentions I mean, you can feel that eye pressure on you once you get sensitive enough. It's, and you can feel that from big predatory animals or people or anything. Um, what I keep getting is that the, they're, the ones that tend to follow me around aren't hostile, but they get too damn close. And you get this weird feeling that there's something like right behind you. <laughs> and it's really creepy. Even though you know, like logically, they're not going to hurt me. They follow me around all the time. You still get that feeling, and it's, you know, at the back of your mind, you're going like, yeah, there's probably a 10-foot Bigfoot, like, right behind me right now. I don't really want to turn around and check. <laughs> no. You don't want to do that. You don't want to do that whatsoever. Well, you don't know how they're going to react either. That's the other thing, too, you know, because they're, they're preoccupied with not being seen. And even if they get close to you, if you, you know, like, spot them and blow their cover, that can make them kind of unhappy. 
So <clears throat> for a good precaution is that if you're in the woods and you see one or something and it's not like ridiculously obvious, like it just stepped out in the open mm-hmm. to let you see it or something, pretend you didn't see it. Just keep acting normal. Go about your business. <laughs> Perhaps leave the area. <laughs> Well, actually, I, I get a lot of them on, on camera because of this trick, because I'll spot them just with my eye randomly and I'll bring the camera around in like a pan or something. And I only keep the camera on them for a couple of seconds. Even if I zoom in on them or something, I only keep it on them for a couple of seconds and then move the camera again. And I just keep talking the whole time. So as far as they're concerned, I didn't see them because I'm not registering that I'm doing anything. Right. I'm not acting like, oh, my God, there's a Bigfoot. I'm going to zoom in on it, and I'm all excited and stuff. No, just do the greatest acting job in your life and pretend that nothing special is going on and don't keep the camera on them for more than a few seconds. And apparently to them, it doesn't register that you're filming them. They don't think you're seeing them, and that's how you end up catching them by accident. Good advice. Good advice. It's worked for me quite a few times. <laughs> You know, but when you look at everything that that goes on with, you know, trying to trick them like that, I mean, you're not trying to deceive them. It's just a matter of, you know, some innocent trickery. Yeah. Well, yeah, and that's where they draw the line, too. When you start actively trying to trick them somehow, then they get angry about that. And this is all sort of like you're playing a game with them. You know they're there. They know you know they're there. And they're still following you around. And sometimes they blow it and they get too close and then you catch them on camera. Oh, well, that's part of the game. You know, you guys lost that round. I got you on camera. Sorry. You know, but when you're going out and you're like setting up game cams or you're putting, you know, audio listening devices, hiding them in things and stuff like that, then they don't trust you anymore. They get uh, really angry and upset over that kind of stuff. Even little things like wearing too much camo. They think you're trying to hide from them. Even though, like, our camo might as well be, you know, like a pastel barf on us for as well as they can see through it. They still think we're trying to fool them. So it's like, (laughs) their psychology is really strange. Let's just put it that way. As long as you can get them involved and they, they think it's their idea and it's a game they're playing and they want to be involved, then it's all cool. But when you're trying to trick them, oh, God, are you asking for it? Don't do that. It's not going to turn out well. Either you'll get nothing or you'll be chased out of your camp at four o'clock in the morning, one or the other. No, what, you know, what is it, Duke, with people who go camping, whether they're in an RV, sleeping in a tent, or in a camper in the back of a truck? What is it with RVing and camping that intrigues Sasquatch? Well, I'm sure there's several aspects to it. You know, they're just generally interested in what we're up to because we're just so radically different than the way they do things that we're very entertaining. And, you know, the novelty of we, we're driving a whole house around with us. <laughs> Not even setting up a tent anymore. We're just driving a whole house in, you know. We got the bathroom in there. We got the kitchen in there. Ooh, that food smells good and all that kind of stuff, you know. So it's all it's very entertaining to them. Uh, part of the fascination with kids, which I used to find really disturbing. And I think what it is, is it's just, you know, adult humans find little kids fascinating too. They're fun to watch. They're entertaining. And their kids act a lot like our kids do apparently. 
So it's the same kind of entertainment for them. They're just watching an even smaller version of their own kids. Ooh, look at miniature children. They're cute. They make high squeaky noises. <laughs> that kind of thing. Uh, <clears throat> and, you know, sometimes it goes a little bit too far, too, because there's stories about uh, female Sasquatch having recently lost one of their offspring and pretty much uh, crazy with uh, distress and and sadness because they lost one of their kids and snap snatch up a human kid oh this will make a substitute and then when they get it back home uh <laughs> dad says uh no bring that back and then the kid disappears for a day or so and all of a sudden they're found again in the same place where they disappeared from mysteriously enough and a uh, big magic bear took care of them for a couple of days do you think that that's uh and to me that sounds logical to be pretty blunt, that that does sound logical. But do you think that a lot of these children who go missing or people who go missing are actually being taken due to traumatic situations like that? I think there, it just runs the gamut of all kinds of different things out there. There's not only the factor of Sasquatch being involved in some of this stuff, and I think a really small percentage of it, but unbeknownst to most of the public, there's more cryptids out there than just Bigfoot, and the rest of them are really dangerous, ranging from really dangerous to unbelievably dangerous. And a lot of these things, if they see a little kid wandering around in the woods, they're not going to think twice. They're going to grab them, and they'll be out of there. And, you know, lunchtime. So so who are the culprits? These things, they have the same stealth abilities as, uh, as a Sasquatch do. Most of these cryptids, you know, like Robin will tell you, they all have similar abilities for being able to blend in with things and uh, move around stealthily, quickly, and whatnot. They can all pretty much do that kind of stuff. Well, you've got the rake. You've got gugglies. you got champe. you got genosqua, uh, devil monkeys. There's all kinds of these, you know, small population cryptids spread out across the continent. And if you happen to be in one of those areas that they're in, you can end up being there, you know, take out dinner. I had Taylor, who was on my show several times, decided he wanted to go for a, a hike down the Appalachian Trail, and he got his uh, hiking gear all together. He went solo, carried a fifty caliber Desert Eagle with him because he was going solo. And during his two-week hike, he had uh, a young female Sasquatch follow him for about three hours. He got to see her several times. She got fairly close to him, and then she got kind of freaked out and went back the direction she came, and he, he kept going. But uh, at one point, he had taken a side trail off, off of the main trail and just went a ways down it and set up camp there. And all night long, he had something around the camp stalking him. And this guy's used to interacting with Bigfoots. He knows what their energy is like. He knows what the atmosphere is like when they're around. Whatever the heck this thing was, it was not a Bigfoot. And he stayed awake all night long, stoked the fire, and had his fifty caliber Desert Eagle ready to go in case he needed it. So in the morning, he went back up that side trail and went back to the main trail again, vowing not to take any more unnecessary side trips for the rest of the adventure. Mm. But is it... Okay, let me ask you this then, okay? Since a lot of people don't tend, a lot of people are more into RVing and motorhomes and campers on the back of trucks and RV trailers. Do the Sasquatch then come into these areas is it out of straight curiosity is it about food what what do you think it is 
Well, it's both those factors. I think in a lot of cases, it's food. You know, activity draws their attention to it just because they're curious and they're fun to watch. But, you know, ultimately, they're all about eating everything that they can get to shove down their face because they're eating machines. They want to eat all the time. It takes a lot of calories to keep them going. So even as good as they are at gathering all the food they need to feed themselves, there's still limits to how much time they're going to spend sitting around watching us and not eating. Um, so that that plays heavily into it. If they can do two things at once, in other words, watch us and then get food afterwards or at some point during the whole thing, then it's totally worth it. So you get a lot of that where they'll come into known camps. They'll raid the dumpsters like after a weekend when there's a big campground and stuff. Like on uh, Sunday night, they'll be in the dumpsters because they know everybody's already left. The campground's empty and there's all this food in the dumpsters. So they go dig through them. It's just like clockwork. They got like a route. You know, bears do that too. Yeah. They've got a route they follow. They know where the food's going to be, and they just kind of do this little loop and, and do this route. And the Sasquatch do the same thing, except, you know, they're even smarter at figuring out patterns and food sources. They take ultimate advantage of it. Mm. Okay. So the fact that they are visiting campsites, you know, state or provincial campgrounds or or, uh, you know, picking on people uh, who are using tents by, you know, freaking them out, touching their foreheads and, and you know, their body, <laughs> their body parts. Or tickling their feet like they did with Keith Crabtree up at my yeah. research area a couple of weeks ago. Okay, you got to tell us that story. <laughs> okay, yeah, this one's pretty hilarious. Um, the second time this summer, I'm at uh, my main research area. The first time it happened, I was up at the ghost town of Coloma. Uh, this time I'm at my re main research area. It's the second night we're there, and it's getting really cold. And I mean, like, really cold. It's going to be down in the low 20s. There's a burning ban on. You can't have a campfire. So after a certain point, it's really dark and really cold, and it's, there's scary things in the woods. And, okay, I'm just going to go huddle in my tent and sleep now. So Keith crawls into the back of his uh, truck, and I, I crawl in my tent. And I get in the tent, and I'm, I got the lamp right in the top of the tent, and I'm trying to crawl into the sleeping bag, and I reach up, and I turn the light off. And as soon as I turn the light off, I mean, Dave, within five seconds, I hear crunch, crunch, right next to me within two feet of my tent. And I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? So I reach up, and I turn the light on again, and I go, hey, dead silence, dead silence, dead silence. I, I must have sat there for about 15 minutes. Didn't hear anything. Finally just reached up, turned the light off, went back to sleep again. So in the morning, Keith says, someone's messing around with me last night. And I went, what happened? Well, see, Keith is a gigantic guy. He wore the costume in the movie The Legend of Boggy Creek. He was the Boggy Creek monster. So he's trying to sleep in the back of his truck, and it's not long enough. So he has to drop the truck bed. And then in order to maintain any heat in there whatsoever, keeping in mind he's from Arkansas and he's up here in Montana freezing his butt off, he tarped off the end of the truck. So he's got the little bay window in the topper in between the front of the truck open so he can just hit the clicker and he can turn the truck on. It'll turn on a bunch of heat, shoot it into the back, warm him up for about 10 minutes, and then he turns it back off again. The only problem is it keeps leaking out the back. So he takes the tarp. And he takes his piece of twine and he wraps it three times around it and ties a knot to make sure it's nice and secure, doesn't come apart, and there's no air leakage going on. So in the middle of the night, he has this weird dream that something's tickling his feet. 
So he rolls over sideways and pulls the blankets up over his feet and goes back to sleep again. Then when he gets up in the morning, he remembers that he had this weird dream that someone was tickling his feet. And he looks at the back of the um, tarp, which is now wide open. Something with fingers untied the knot, dropped it on the ground. And then he gets a second shock when he gets up and crawls out from underneath the tarp. There's a wild deer there about 20 feet away from him looking at him, munching on some grass going, hey, how you doing? <laughs> he's like, I've never been that close to a wild deer in my life. That was the second surprise. And he goes, do you think she was looking at my feet or something? She couldn't have untied that knot. It hasn't been bit or anything, so I'm not tied it. And I went, Keith, there's a big look right here, right by the back of his truck. There's a big rock about the size of a baseball that's pure quartz. It's exactly like the ones they gifted us, the same exact spot the year before. And I said, I think that was a Sasquatch tickling your feet, Keith. And he's like, oh, my God, you really think so? And I go, we'll, we'll find out for sure when I get back. So as soon as we got in cell phone range, I called Robin. And I went, so uh, what, what kind of activity happened this weekend? And she goes, well, you know, when you guys get up there, you don't have any phone service. So I contact them to make sure that you get up there safely. And I contacted him, and he, he said he was sitting across the river, and he was watching some guy with a hat that was sitting in the camp with you. And I went, oh, that was Keith. So as it turned out, him and Keith were staring at each other for about 45 minutes after the sun went down. The moon was up, so you could kind of see some detail across the river, but you couldn't make out anything too well. And he goes, that shadow over there keeps looking like it's moving. And I said, well, just keep your eye on it and see if it does. And he's like, you know, pretty in intent that it moved a few times. And I said, well, for sure, when you get up in the morning, just sit in the same place and look across the river when the sun's up. And you can see if that object's there or not. Well, of course, it wasn't for the whole rest of the weekend. And that's what it was. It was the Sentinel right when he got there the first night having a staring contest with him for 45 minutes. So the next thing I said, uh, <clears throat> was somebody tickling his feet? And she goes, yeah, there's one of them laughing right now. He says he left the rock for him so that he wouldn't think he was dreaming. It oh, really wow. happened. <laughs> wow. Robin told me. So we got about two minutes left. Robin told me, Robin McRae this is, that we most definitely have to go out again on Saturday. Even though we were freaked out in our area the last time, she says you definitely have to go back out. She goes, but go a little bit earlier where there's still daytime. She goes, there's something there for you to see. And right on. I don't know what that vague clue means, but... I just want to see something. Oh, it's going to be exciting. Just make sure to be, you know, keep, keep safe. If you, you get that uh, creepy vibe, something bad's going on, it's time to leave. And, uh, you know, especially stay away from those probe happer, happy saucer jockeys that you got running around out there right now with their mining equipment or whatever. They might have jackhammers or something. Uh, I, I don't know if they'll be back there. I don't know. Hopefully not. Hopefully not. Hopefully they were just visiting. Right. Um, that is a possibility because sometimes they'll move into an area for a while and then it's like you don't want to be there until they decide to leave again. Yeah, but that's what I got aliens for. Super Duke, yeah. it's been a wonderful slice once again. We've got about a minute here. Tell everybody where they can find Duked Out Radio. You can find me over on YouTube, of course, and on BitChute, Rumble, and Odyssey. I have support groups on Facebook. World Bigfoot Radio and Montana Bigfoot Project. 
and also on the MeWe social media network uh, under World Bigfoot Central. And if you missed last weekend, uh, what rare updates on the whole Glag saga, more additional information, Glag Apocrypha 3, Part 1. Part 2 is coming up this Sunday with D. Sims, Lady in the Woods, another really good Bigfoot researcher. And we're also doing a fundraiser for her. She had a heart attack about a week ago and is completely out of commission. So we're trying to raise some funds to help keep her and her already disabled husband alive. So if anybody wants to stop by and help with that, I'd appreciate it. Otherwise, you're going to see some amazing stuff. All the Glag Saga aficionados, we get to talk about Glag's grandma. Woohoo! First time we get to talk about this one. So you're going to enjoy it. Super Duke, always a pleasure. To have you here, we will talk to you in a couple of nights' time. Very much appreciate it. World Bigfoot Radio, Duke Sullivan. He is literally one of the best when it comes to doing everything and studying the Sasquatch and the high strangeness around it. We love you, Duke. Thank you so much for coming on in. We got Mr. Ron Bumblefoot Thaw rocking in the background with Little Brother is watching. Bumblefoot is the official music Spaced Out Radio, rocking us in and out of every single show. Get your horns up for the guitar god himself. Special thanks to everybody listening in at home, at work, in your cars, wherever you may be. Thank you to everyone in our chat rooms tonight. YouTube, Twitch, LGAP, Facebook, Spreaker, the Space Travelers Club, and on Twitter at hashtag Spaced Out Radio. Remember, this show is copyright by Spaced Out Radio and SOR Media Ventures Limited. Thank you so much for choosing to share your evening with us. Because together, my friends, we own the night. Mr. Bumblefoot, we need a favor. We need you to take us home. Yes, the Wu train has docked for the night. But soon, my friends, we shall ride again. Your seats are always available. Your tickets never expire. And if you want to bring a friend, we've got room for them, too. Good night. <laughs>